up, party people? It's Talib Kweli, the BKMC, the MCEO. I love the fact that y'all checking out the People's Party and showing us a lot of love. You know what we do? We're bringing you all the live guests. We're bringing you the best podcast on the internet. Just make sure you subscribe and leave a review. People's Party, Talib Kweli. Let's go. Peace and love, party people. It's Talib Kweli, the BKMC. I am your host for the People's Party. Welcome to another wonderful edition of the People's Party. And always, and as usual, I have my lovely and talented co-host, Jasmine Lee. Give it up for Jasmine Lee and the place to be, party people. Yeah. What's up, Jasmine? How you been? I am. A, I've been great. How have you been? Good. We've been having a good year so far. Amazing 2020, baby. Right. A lot of good guests so far. Yes. Um, We're going to continue that streak. Because this guest is, again, one of the people that we spoke about having a guest on this show when we first started this show. Mm -hmm. The word, a phrase OG, I think is tossed around willy-nilly and tossed around too much these days. You know what I'm saying? We give people that OG classification too quickly. But this man that we have on the show today is a certified West Coast OG, a certified music OG, a certified hip-hop OG. This man has been holding it down, particularly for Irish people. Mm -hmm. Been holding it down for hip hop. He's created one of the greatest, not just one of the greatest rap songs of all time, but one of the greatest songs of all time. From records like Top of the Morning to You, What's It Like, Whitey's Revenge, when he had his solo career. Um, working with legends like Ice-T, Be Real, all the way to Carlos Santana. Starting groups like La Coca Nostra. This man is an incredible lyricist. He's a Grammy Award winner. He's written TV theme songs. I mean, mm -hmm. what do he don't do? You know what I'm saying? This man That's is an icon. He's a legend. I want you to give it up for the one, the only, Everlast is in the place to be on the people's Woo! part. Yeah! Yes! Yes! Damn, that was a long list. <laughs> You've had a long storied career, brother. Did you know that you had such a storied career? Um, I know I've done a lot of stuff, but it, you know, you know, you're. I'm, I just kind of live in the moment, right? Mostly. You're in it, so you don't. You see the list; it, it gets kind of cool. Yeah, man, it's 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 <laughs> part great of getting for me old, to be, I guess. You get to see the list, right? I mean, <laughs> I I first saw you when I was in high school, watching Ralph McDaniel's video music box. For sure, um, you had a video. It wasn't your first video, but it was the first video I saw. I think it was the first video off my first album. The My Forever first video was off of Ice T's compilation uh, with the Rhyme Syndicate coming through. Okay, shout out to Ice T and the whole Rhyme sure. Syndicate. Big you was a Syndicate out. soldier. I was Syndicate soldier. You was soldiering yeah. heavy. Yeah, <laughs> I was shitting on Tipper Gore. Yeah, you was, you was, you was, <laughs> was you was like front line. Little did I know she was helping us out with the sticker, but at the time it seemed like you get more record sales. Yeah, it wound up that way. That the first song on that album um, is Syndicate Soldier, right? I believe so. And you came out in an era where hip hop was about like having one phrase as the hook. So the hook would be like, yeah, I'm a syndicate soldier. And that's the hook. You could get away with that. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Or the hook is I got the knack and that's it. Yeah. There's nothing else you need to say. Because about the beats and the rhymes. Because right? all the one liners hadn't been used up yet. That's <laughs> right, what it was. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, I wanted to start with that because your career is storied. Um, you started out, you came into the collective consciousness as this hip-hop artist, but you, at some point in your career, trans, translate, transferred into like doing bluesy and country music. 
uh, rock music, Americana music. But I heard you, I didn't hear you, I read in the LA Weekly. You said, everything I do is hip hop. I don't care if it's a country ballad. If I'm doing it, it's hip hop. Speak to that. Well, I, I always looked at it like I, I've, the way I write lyrics has never changed. Mm-hmm. Like it seems it's the same. You can write a little less. You don't right. have to. You don't have to be as dense mm-hmm. lyrically um, because you can make up for if you can carry any kind of melody or harmony that can make up for some movement because mm-hmm. that's really what the density of the wordplay right. is about movement. Right. Um, but I always considered the. When I, hip-hop was the first music that spoke to me like some of the cats right before me it was punk rock you know mm-hmm. what i mean um hip-hop was my punk rock mm-hmm. it was the, it was i was the only white kid that, that kids would look at me like what the fuck is <laughs> what is in your shoes what is that Dude, right it was because i was putting elastic in my shoes like the breakers you right. know what i mean like that back then nobody in that california that was unheard of mm-hmm. so um as I became more into hip-hop and especially became started making music you know it's all about digging through music and records at that time it was all sampling it was completely about finding loops and beats and chopping them right so you wind up hearing a lot of music and i've always equated that hip-hop was really the the taking of everything in the junkyard and making something beautiful right right and what i feel i've done once i started going in the other direction sort of musically was i was now taking pieces of hip-hop and and bring it. If you listen to every song I do, there's a hidden clue in there. There's something in there. Yeah. There is something that'll be like, whoa, that's that's a little kind of reminiscent of a melody from this hip hop song. Right. Or that's there's I, I, like I, I heard, purposely I was, do it. Like, I heard I heard a record, I think, on one of these later Whitey Ford records where you were you referencing a uh, the Rakim melody joint in there was just—it just came in for a second. Do 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 do. I heard it. I'm like, okay. We changed there it the is. note slightly, but there like, it yeah, is. yeah. I mean, but it's there. Yeah, it's there. Yeah, I'm not. That's what I'm saying. Every yeah. within everything, it's not always a melodic note. It could be a snare. Right. You know what I mean? It could be, you know, um, a, a, a simple scratch. You or know when you mean? did Folsom Prison over like what sounded like Mugs production. Yeah, and it was. In, we did Folsom Prison over Insane in the Membrane. Yeah, <laughs> that's what yeah. we did. So beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, it's just I felt like I feel like I'm an ambassador in the rest of music mm-hmm. for hip hop. That's what I mean when I say everything I do is hip hop to me. Right. Everything I do when I'm when I'm in the studio, even if it's a ballad, it's making me. That's that's hip hop right there. The, right. The, the, as, the head as, nod. As, as skills you say the head nod. That the nod factor. Yeah, the nod factor. Right. Thank you. Skills is on Ruckus. Uh, Jared Meyer over there started Ruckus, um, but that record was was before Ruckus, right? Yeah. That was his first deal. Yeah. It was like when he was like starting to pop really fresh. This, this artist, uh, Post Malone, is out now. He's annoying to me, and I'll tell you why. <laughs> me personally. It's just me personally. Well, damn. I'm going to tell you why he's annoying to me, because I really like his songs. Right. And I get mad at myself. Okay. But this is why I get mad. Especially that the Spider-Man one he got with Sway Lee. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's the shit. <laughs> it's so they got good. an ear for melodies. Those yeah, melodies yeah, are so got, ill. Yeah, I don't know if it's them or whoever's running right. it through the board that knows how to play the melodies, right. but somebody's got an ear for the melodies. Right. right there. But I feel like I shouldn't be liking this music because I read an interview in GQ where he was trying, this was a couple years ago, I don't know if he's changed his mind since then, but he's trying to distance himself from hip hop. Now, when I hear Post Malone's music, it's clearly hip hop, it's trap. But it's, 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 that's hip hop that he's doing. Mm-hmm. He's right. he's taking. So when I read that, I'm like, here's a white kid who's being hugely successful. Like I think right now he's the most streamed artist more than anybody. He's, right? I think the biggest artist. On yeah, the he's world. huge. Yeah, yeah. 
And he's clearly taking hip hop vibes, style, look. But he, he in that interview, he was like, I'm not, don't call me hip hop. And I'm like, that's whack. Um, well, I'm not hitting his shoes, so I can't speak mm-hmm. to his thinking. But I, w- I would agree, like, in the sense that, like, no, you got it. You have to acknowledge the fact that, mm-hmm. first of all, you came in the door calling yourself White Iverson. So, right. I mean, you're, you're that was on. the first record. Iverson right. is hip hop. I mean, just to mention, just to think of Allen Iverson, anything about right. him is either basketball or hip hop or yeah. both. So, it's, I mean, that's funny style, but like, it's it's this new age, man. Right. It's this new human that exists. You know what I mean? Right. Like, new human. I'm serious, dude. Like, it's me and Devon <laughs> Styler. It's like, that's, you know, we talk all the time. Man, about, shout out to Devon Styler. That's my dude, man. That's my brother to man, this day. Like, he's such, every, a, such an underrated MC. He, he's, An artist. He's, this, he's the father of a lot of cat styles. Yeah, scheme um, team style. Yeah. Well, we talk about this new human. It's like there's that <laughs> like the truth don't matter and things like that. There's a whole new world that right, didn't exist when I was didn't exist when I was young. You know, mm. it's just kind of weird. Mm. I, I'm just kind of taking the whole George Carlin like approach to it, where it's like I got a front row seat to the freak show. I'm just gonna watch. That's a good approach. Happens, you know, it's Carlin like, is a good blueprint. I got enough to worry about at the house. You know, what I mean? I'm up. gonna come out here. I'm just gonna watch the freak show. Word up. <laughs> but that being said, I like his songs too. Yeah, they're that's, <laughs> they're so good. So I can say the same about Drake. Like I'm not necessarily right. a fan of Drake, the, the the persona, but his music's pretty good. Did you know what I mean? There's a off? lot of the song. I'm just oh, not, I I'm fucking saying, love Drake from Degrassi days. You can't I don't even know that. Drake. I'm just saying, and I'm not hating. What I'm saying is, I don't. I'm not. I'm, there's nothing like that. I'm like Drake, but like I right. hear a Drake song, and I'm like, yeah. I'm, if I hear it enough, I'm singing the words. Right. You know what I mean? So he's very good at them songs. If you make yeah. them annoying, people will sing them. Do you um, think that because Post Malone <laughs> is the truth, if they're the most annoying, the more you sing them. Do you think that because Post Malone doesn't consider himself um, a part of hip hop, that's like a form of appropriation? You'd kind of have to. I mean, if he's really trying to, I mean, again, I can't speak to his thinking in a moment. I remember when I first stepped away and did Whitey Four Sings the Blues, I didn't want to do, I didn't do Jump Around. And when I did do it, because like a contract would say I have to do it, mm-hmm. I would do this wild circus just primus <laughs> mix like something that it can't be right re- the lyrics were the only thing you could recognize right about it, you know what i mean because i just there was a mo- there was a sp- period of time where i wanted you gotta understand when i came in the door other than the rhyme syndicate or once house of pain hit our first single was a shadow yeah you know what i mean that's why if you look at the first house of pain album and the second house of pain album it's so dark the second mm. one because it was just like we're not even gonna try Right. To do that. It reminds me of Miss Hill, you know, because she had some legal issues with the music. And when she spent a lot of years performing her own sort of stage versions of her songs instead of performing how people wanted to hear mm-hmm. them performed. That was when she did like the unplugged thing, right? Yeah. yeah even yeah. after that, like when she came, after she did that, when she came, when she started touring again, mm-hmm. she had an IRS thing and then she came, got over that. She started touring again. But she would do like, you ever see the 70s concerts where people would do medleys of their records? For sure. And she was doing that. She was doing like I think Stevie I saw Wonder. a show where she did that. Yeah, because she was like, she was- Because honestly, I mean, Lauryn Hill could do no wrong to me. Except yeah, showing up three hours late, That's the, then I got to go. I right, gotta you got to go. go. <laughs> I can't, that's the only thing I can't take right, you is get contempt your money back for your from audience. The, from the venue. Because that shows contempt for your audience mm-hmm. a little bit. And like, you know, I've been in a few audiences that artists have shown contempt. I, right. I can't stick around. Other than that, she could do no wrong. Yeah, yeah, room, I feel that. Um- you were born in Long Island. Yes. Um, your father was in construction. Yes. I feel like you have a working class swag. Um, I, that's all I came from. I mean, I still like, 
don't get me wrong, I do very well. I live mm-hmm. a beautiful life, but I'm mm-hmm. I, on on this. Yeah, I read about you the, selling your house in the newspaper. Yeah, what the? That was some shady <laughs> shit. <that> some, <laughs> real <estate laughs> shady. some real estate agents were like, you know, because that's just weird. Whatever. Yeah. But um, at least I was gone by the time that was reported, right? You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> right, right, right. You were gone. There's no longer. I, I your lost house. my train of thought once you brought the. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I would say like even like when, when, it, when I'm around rich folks, mm-hmm. like I still feel like like I'm I'm going to work tomorrow. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, right. I, I run around some really rich folks sometimes, and it's just like I never feel like part of their club. Mm-hmm. So I'm a working class dude who just happened to make it good. That's right. how I look at it, you know. Right. My father moved to California from New York because of the construction boom in the seventies. You know. Wow. The whole San Fernando, Simi uh, uh, valleys, and what what's it, what's it out there? Uh, Palmdale and mm-hmm. like where Magic Mountain and all that is, and all none of that existed in the seventies. Right? Remember, I said we, we've been talking for a minute about trying to get you on the show, but I said now is the right time um, because we I think we had to have some we had to have some OGs on the show so I can know how to properly do it. Before I had you on the show, we had Ice Cube on the show, right. um, and you famously went to high school at Taft. We, we, yeah, we shared a high school. We didn't really hang out or nothing, mm-hmm. but like, yeah, he was known. It was like that's the dude who wrote Boys right. in the Hood. Like when Boys in the Hood was <laughs> on the radio, it was like he was. I remember him running around in a, a, a like at the time it was a hot thing was the Hawaiian suit, mm-hmm. the shorts and the shirt and like a short the, set the Chinese flip flops. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like that was the the, that was the move. Like right. that was it was the swap meet fit, but it was the move. Like right. it was like fly but i remember that's the kind of shit i remember <laughs> but like him being the rap guy at that mm. time i wasn't even about music i was fully in, immersed in graffiti mm-hmm. because divine styler was going there also and uh like he was sent out from brooklyn because he got in some trouble or something one mm-hmm. summer and wound up going to school there for a little while so i met him through another friend and then we just connected but i was fully immersed in graffiti i didn't know divine styler went to taft too i remember when that ain't saying briefly nothing. like briefly Okay, when they ain't saying nothing, video drop scheme team. I, I was in, in New York running with a crew of dancers. So we didn't understand that that dance culture and just even the way he was rhyming over that, that you know, the James Brown sample, the way he was doing it uh, from the East Coast. All we knew from L.A. was N.W.A. vibe, Compton's Most Wanted vibe, King T vibe. And so Devon Stoller just split my wig. Talk to me about your relationship with him and what he means to hip hop in Los Angeles. I mean, not just Los Angeles. I mean, he was always an East Coast cat. His style, mm-hmm. and you know, it was it was reminiscent of everything that was going on in New York. I think he fathered a lot of cat styles. To, mm-hmm. uh, there was no hippie movement looking cats like before the ski right. team. You know what I mean? No uh, far sides, you know, freestyle it's, fellowship. It's, them two, I'm saying it was both New York and mm-hmm. L.A. You know what I mean? Uh, but to me, like I said, I I was hanging with Devon because he was also he's also an amazing visual artist. Like mm-hmm. he was an amazing graffiti style writer right. I, 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 that I, scheme team logo was like some graffiti shit right? yeah, yeah i think he did everything he he did a lot of the beats that you know even though like he shared credit with people he i watched it you know mm-hmm. i saw a lot of it happen um and uh but like lyrically he he was the illest cat i think one of the illest cats ever you know what i mean i don't just say that because i consider myself and back in back then i consider myself son of divine styler that's you know what i mean that's that's because we come from an era where that's not a, it's not a shitty thing to right. say you know what i mean, mean like, you got nah. sons now like yeah. when we had evidence on the show i asked him where he got his name from he said i wanted a name like everlast yeah mm. he only told me that like two years ago <laughs> <laughs> i was like what he right was like yeah man it's like the first rap i ever said was syndicate soldier he told me like right. at a, at a, a talent show or something i don't know exactly where but man. i was like are you kidding me he was like no, nah, we serious. need to get Devon Style on here, man. That's probably easy, too. Yeah, he manages my studio, lives in my okay. studio. Like, he it's a house, it's like a big okay, word up. But uh, he's, um, he's available now. You joined Ice T's collective, the Rhyme Syndicate, 
Yes. That seemed like a Devon power move. That was through Devon Styler. I used to fucking bust raps, like writing graffiti with these cats, like mm-hmm. to make fun of your mom or something. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like they were serious. I was like hanging out on so much and they were doing the graffiti and the music. And 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 so I again like started like oh they were always rapping so I right. I and snapping was a big deal between us back then right. so like I would snap on them but rhyming and like one day Divine was like you should write a rhyme dude <laughs> and I would have like a, a good song friend. and he was like yeah like a song and literally the first song that I ever wrote in my life this is no what do they say nowadays no cap oh no god cap, <laughs> <right>? <laughs> no fucking lies. Is syndication the first song wow. that got put out? Like I wrote the verses. Like I was supposed to have a partner too, flaked out. It was supposed to be me and this other dude were supposed to like team up and like be a group. And he he got scared of the demo process or something. And wow, people sometimes get scared of success. It wasn't even about it, nobody was making money making rap. This <laughs> we is eighty eight dog. If you right. maybe the Fat Boys, LL Cool J, right. and, and Run really DMC, Ice was just starting. Right, Run, Ice was making some bread. He was starting to bubble, like make money, money. Like mm-hmm. he was starting to be a star kind of dude. Like, who was know? that? Who was the original Rob Syndicate crew? Um, well, that would be it for Ice T to answer because, okay. like, um, there's a whole crew of dudes was a lot of that weren't even rappers. I mean, he has right. all his old past buddies from school and whatever gang right. affiliations and whatnot. Um, but as far as musically, I, it other than what was as like what was signed to it, as far as I know, was everything on that compilation. And seven eight three was affiliated for a little while, but they never really finished the deal, and they went and got their own album deal. Seven eight three, right? Which was Mugs. Like, right. Back that's how me and Mugs first became familiar with each other. That's where I was going with it because it was interesting because you know that Rom Syndicate era. Like I said to you earlier, like you were the first person I ever seen with a suit and sneakers on. Yeah, uh, they couldn't get me in the shoes. G Easy is 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 now doing that style. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. But you was first with it. Um. What made you make the conscious decision? Because when I listen to Forever Everlasting, you refer to yourself as Caucasian a couple of times on that record. Yeah. And then you have these rhymes about your, you know, it, that I album. I might even say grafted white devil on that record. Yeah, because you, you have the you have the kid rapping about the five percent kid. <laughs> I on had the, all the Ansar books. All that shit is on that record. All the forty deuce Ansar right. books and the it's the five percent math stuff. Claims right, 13. you had some. I, you I, was I, dropping I, some science. You said that on that. You said on I'm this. I'm not song, dropping science, but I'm. A, but I was making cats aware that I was aware of what. Right. What they were referring to as science. Mm-hmm. But then you made a conscious decision to move away from the grafted white devil and 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 whiteness as an identity to Irish as an identity with House of Pain and going from Rhyme Syndicate to Soul Assassins. Like, walk me through that. Um, well, to walk you through that, I'd have to tell you an adventurous story. Oh, well, that's what Let's we're here to do. Let's do it. When <clears throat> things came to a head at Rhyme Syndicate, when I started learning about what was actually going on which wasn't anything super nefarious or mm-hmm. anything but like budgets and all this and how they got spent and how little I had to say in it mm-hmm. I had sold like 125,000 records at a certain point mm-hmm. and I'd only been advanced around 60 grand I'm gonna keep this like real simple though mm-hmm. so in the math I done did uh I figured they owed me a couple bucks and like mm-hmm. by the man I was like maybe 10 grand they might owe me in royalties and I went to inquire about when I would be due these royalties because I still didn't really know the ins and outs and when I showed up they trying to they didn't answer me for a long time the label and um 
then I went and got involved in something and found out they had done some crazy remix of a song that never got released because it was such garbage. <laughs> but they paid a guy like a hundred grand for it. Wow. And I was like, who the fuck is this guy? And it turned out to be a Shep Pettibone who was big <laughs> in the 80s. Right? right, Madonna Records. Yeah, yeah. I was like, well, who the fuck is he? You know what I mean? Shep I was like, Pettibone I didn't, was, I didn't you know, so money. I got really upset that this guy right. paid and it put me underwater. I wasn't, at 17, 10 grand would have kept me alive for a right, year. Right, You know what I mean? Easily. So I got really upset and um, the boss, the boss of Warner Black Music at the time, which is where I was. I was like this mm. anomaly in the middle of Warner Black Music was Benny Medina. And I flipped <laughs> of course. the fuck out on dude okay. at 18. <laughs> like, right. flipped out, like not care. I didn't care. Again, this was never originally supposed to be my future. Like I never planned to be doing this mm -hmm. for this long. I was, somebody said, make a rap record. I was like, okay. They said, you want to make an album? I said, okay. Mm -hmm. And then I started figuring out the business of it and all that. So they didn't like the way I flipped out. They dropped me from Warner Brothers. Okay. And then I was still in the Rhyme Syndicate contract. And uh, I found out like uh, that my record was popping in New York. Mm. Syndication was popping. And um, they weren't, I was managed by Ice-T's manager. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I was, my lawyer was Ice-T's lawyer. This is those days, like I didn't, I was mm -hmm. young. I didn't know. And I, so like when I started asking questions and I got my own lawyer, you know, I was upset, not that they had done me wrong, but it's like, I could have played at the Latin Quarter. Mm -hmm. I could have done a show at the Latin right. Quarter. And, I, and put, anybody who don't know it is probably like, what does that mean? Right. To me, that would have been the fucking end all be all. That's the right. Union Square or the Latin Quarter to be able to say, yeah, I rock That's that. That's mm -hmm. I rock that spot. Yeah. You know what I mean? So those kind of things started eating away. I mean, that's, and I had a lawyer who found a way out of the contract and I got out. And that's when I, uh, I had already known Danny a little bit. Lethal was DJing for me. He was 15 at high school dropout. Like he used to rob houses, like Damn. with a little Russian crew of kids, <laughs> right. little crew of Russian kids. Like they used to rob places, but he could beatbox like a monster. Right. So the chick I was dating somehow knew about this kid and I entered, I met him and I loved him. He couldn't DJ I lick when I met him. Okay. He could, but he beatboxed his ass off and he had a style about him. And I was like, Oh, I like this kid. Right. I took him around the world at like fucking, he was 15. Right. So he was with me already. Danny was a friend. We were hanging out in his house one day. I remember I said earlier, some guys, it was punk rock. Danny was a big punk rock guy. Right. Um, we're hanging out at his house one day and he has this tape, you know, the tape racks, remember? And mm -hmm, they yeah. all these bands I know. And then I see one that says house of pain. I was like, what the fuck is that? That's I've never heard of them. He was like, oh, dude, it's some terrible punk rock thing I was trying to do. It was my band. It was his shit. Yeah, yeah. And I was oh, like, wow. we should we should use that. Because it, it, it connected with me really deeply because one of my, one of the most, there's a couple impactful movies for me when I was young. One was End All Be All was Apocalypse Now. But another one the was movie. The Ireland of Dr. Moreau. Okay. Where like that, I saw that. I don't know how old I was, but mm -hmm. that movie kind of fucked me up for a long right, time. Right, not the like, remake. You're no, about the, the original, original one. Yeah. The original one. That's why all the soundtrack is on there from the album. Okay. Like, there's all stuff from that movie. He breaks the law, goes back. That's all from that movie. Okay. So that connected with me. And the reason it Danny tried to call it that was because there was an Oingo Boingo song called No Spill Blood, which is based on the movie. Oh, okay. So it all, it was like, dude, we got to use this. Right. Plus, I couldn't submit demos anywhere under the name Everlast because Benny Medina had X'd that out. Right. <laughs> right. Um, like any label. Like it was like I was written up as like trouble. Trouble. Yeah. I wasn't going to get any. And that's a very small. They compete against each other, yeah. but they hang out. And it was way smaller <laughs> back then, too. Yeah, way smaller. Yeah. It was like, you know, the old networks, CBS, ABC, you know, 
NBC. It was the same kind of label mm-hmm. situation. There's maybe five or six majors. Mm-hmm. So once we started that, it was originally a live band, House of Pain. It was Everlast and the House of Pain. Okay. And it was a live band and we were cutting demos. And we were like, we're going to fucking kill everybody with this live shit. That's interesting because I thought the rock part of it came later after the no, success. No, no, no. It, started, like it started as that. Yeah. And, and then it wasn't just rock, though. It was just live music mm-hmm. and it was going to be a band playing with us. And then the MTV Unplugged happened where they had the band. And, uh, you know, like MC Light, I think De La. Mm-hmm. Who, it was yeah. A bunch. It was, but a week later, every major tour, all the rappers had bands. Mm. So I was like, fuck. Right. And th- that same week... Lethal and Lethal seeing a girl who's roommates with a girl that Muggs is seeing, and we all go to some reggae fest mm-hmm. and wind up coming back to their crib. All of us hanging out. Is this out. where the, you met Be Real? It's the first day I met Be Real. I've heard this story, but yeah. I want to hear you tell it. And um, we're hanging out after the thing, and they Muggs pops in a tape, and he's like, Check this out. And it's the first Cypress album, mm-hmm. probably like six months before anybody heard it, you know, maybe eight. And I just, it was to me, it, it hit me as hard as. The first time I heard Funky by by Ultra or mm-hmm. or Rebel without a pause, mm-hmm. it hit me in the same the whole fucking album. I was like, and it, and the production reminded me of Bomb Squad meets Ultra meets mm. uh, SD fifties. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like there, it was like every, it was like whoa, this is crazy. And me and Be Real start rapping over beats for a couple hours, smoking weed and all this. They were about to go on the road and. I, I, or, and apparently when they left there is when Be Real told Muggs, you got to fuck with that dude. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's kind of the beginning of that offshoot. Man, that's beautiful. I'm a little high. Am I making all sense here? No, I'm I'm, I'm right there. So you, you promised an adventurous story and it was full of thrills and chills. I, I didn't even tell like the really bad parts of it because we want to hear the really I, bad parts. When I went parts. off at Warner Brothers, it was it was ugly. It was it, it was, was ugly. It was worse than you just let us. Oh, it was it was it was like very nasty things said about people. You know what I mean? None racial or anything. Well, but, I, but I would not have. But the that. other horrible things were right. said that a, that an eighteen yeah. year old would say. Yes, an angry eighteen yeah. year old who came to get a ten thousand dollar check and was told he owes one hundred and twenty. Right. <laughs> you went out with the bang. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I, you know, it's a good story. I mean, it's like Cube had to do the same thing. It wouldn't thing, be right? a good a story if I was like a mechanic somewhere right now. <laughs> right, like, I went off and that yeah, was that's that the end kind of, of blew the it all right there, dude. <laughs> now, Muggs ended up producing, you know, this huge record, Jump Around. Yeah. Um, talk to us about making that record. I've heard that, that Be Real and Ice Cube might have passed on that beat. I heard Ice Cube passed on a beat, but let's. Let, let, it didn't have the horn in it yet. Mm-hmm. It didn't. It was just a ching, 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 which is such an impossibly small chopped piece of a record that Muggs is is, is one of the baddest cats ever. But yeah, man, he's so incredible. So he started playing it, and uh, this was he. This was, he was still living like in a in a side apartment on his aunt's house, like mm-hmm. and like uh, like. I was out in the driveway because the door of his place opened up and I'm writing the rhymes on his car. I'm not even writing rhymes, just sitting there out there fucking concocting rhymes, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And I was heavy into like like uh, raga stuff, like Shaba and and, yeah. and, 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 and whatnot. There's a lot of uh, reggae Cat. influence yeah. on those House of Pain albums. Yeah, and then uh, so in one of the rhymes, I just say, Jump around if you love freedom. Jump around if you love culture. And then I move on. Just like mm-hmm. just kind of little little shout out to whatever. 
So as we're piecing it together, Muggs is the one who was like, hold up. He's like, just say jump around. He's like, and then we're going to say jump, 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 jump. Because they had just come off tour with Leaders in a New School. And they didn't have a song doing that, but Leaders in a New School would always get the crowd jumping. Right. He's like, this will work. He's mm-hmm. like, this is going to be big. Right. And uh, I was like, cool, whatever. I don't, you know, again, I just roll with the punches a lot. Just Crisscross was out around that time. Hip hop was very jumpy. <laughs> well, you want to know the crisscross story is the reason Joe Nicolo gets shat on at the end of that record, who is the you do label at the end. the label head of Cypress Hill at the right. time. We didn't know it was a diss record until we got to the end. It's like, oh, this is a diss record. Well, because <laughs> what happened was is Roughhouse wanted to sign us, but they wanted to give us like a ridiculously shitty deal. And even Muzz was like, "Fuck you, mm-hmm. we're not. I'm not letting them do that." So the next thing you know, I get called into uh, the offices at Tommy Boy. I think all of us were in New York, the whole band. We get called in into the conference room. They sit us down. And they're like, all right, don't panic. And we're like, what, what are you talking about? They're like, don't panic. We're like, okay. And they play a record. They play a crisscross record. And it's crisscross. And I'm like, what the fuck? Right. And then it's like, yeah, we know what happened. And, and they were like, dude heard your record. And he fucking told this group to make a record called Jump. Wow. And, and we were like, fuck, we're fucked. We're over. It's done. We're gonna, it's, and, and and Tommy Boy is not. Nah, that ain't the narrative. <laughs> they dro- they dropped our record. And be, it, that was the thing about Tommy Boy, man. Like our record was already getting played, mm-hmm. like in the little DJ circles of New York. Mm-hmm. You know, they had to. It was huge but, in New York. But they put that nationwide instantly. So mm-hmm. what started happening was like it was obvious these records were made at the same time. Nobody stole it. They stole it from mm-hmm. us, but it was obvious we didn't rip off a bunch of little kids. Right. You know what I mean? And I don't blame the little kids. It was, it was it's Joe Nicolo. Mm-hmm. Even, even Jermaine was a little kid at the time. Yeah. Jermaine you know I mean? started when he was 15. Yeah. yeah. They were children. Mm-hmm. They were told make this record. And I was there. I was 17 with a record. I'm not, I'd never had any bad. You never heard me say fuck Chris Cross. Right, right, you know right, right, I mean? right, right. Uh, fuck them kids. Yeah. Fuck them kids, man. Evelyn hates the kids. <laughs> But what would start happening is we were going to Nell's a lot in New York when right. we were out there wow, back Nels. then. And uh and um they would start playing that record. The make you make you jump and then you'd hear like it would just start happening. We were like a lot. They would start playing the Chris Frost record and before it got to the rap, they would pull that shit off and they would throw our record. Hey bro, that still works now. And uh I'll be DJ, so that still works now. But we were happy when we heard that. We were like, okay, all right, okay, people are, it's not It's not killing us, you know what I mean? Right. And like the cars in the streets, we didn't hear Crisscross's records bumping them in New York. It was it was crazy. I mean, that was ill. Those were different times when like cats had like disco worthy systems in their yeah, cars. Yeah, yeah. And, and like Geo Trackers and Suzuki <laughs> yeah, Samurai yeah, playing like, yeah, jump around. Um, Did you, when you wrote that record, did you feel like it was going to be as big as it? Because it's probably playing at a wedding or a prom or something right now. Yeah, again, no, no. Did I think it was going to be like Louis Louis? No, mm-hmm. no. I didn't have any clue. We call it the Louis Louis in the nineties. It's Louis Louis. Yeah. It's, it's Ozzy Brothers shout. Yeah. It's, it's all those things. It's a, it's a it's a sports arena record. Right. Now. Mm-hmm. Um, da, 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 which is hey. crazy. It's crazy. Let's not talk about that guy. <laughs> <laughs> Just had to go to that guy. <laughs> <laughs> Jock, jock jams, man. Uh, that's right, Tommy. We did put that out. Right, jock jams. Um, what were we just talking about? Oh, we were talking about. Uh, oh, when I wrote it, did I know it was that big? Um, no, there's no fucking way you could have. Uh, again, hip hop was still bubbling. It wasn't a mainstream music at all mm-hmm. yet. It wasn't. It was. It was getting more and more consumable, and more bigger pieces of it mm-hmm. were being consumed by the masses. But um, what I did know is we had cut the record, and it was okay. 
Mm -hmm. It was all right. Like I said, then Muggs started playing with scratches. And again, this is a I, not the horn on that record is people try to speculate all the time. Like Prince tried to sue us once and we laughed him out of court. No, God bless the dead. I love Prince. Mm -hmm. But we like, dude, prove it because it's not you. It's not you know get I mean? off. Because uh, Questlove yeah, is convinced yeah, that it's get off. Yeah, yeah. No, and I, I, I actually hit him on Twitter once mm -hmm. for like, why are you, first of all, if you <laughs> think it's my sample, why are you a sample snitch right now? <laughs> I was like, that was He's some corny shit. That was some corny <laughs> shit with a sample snitch. Like, come on, dude. Like, at least check with, hey, did you clear that? You know? Right, right, <laughs> right, 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 right. But anyways, it came right off of Divine Styler's Ain't Saying Nothing record. It's the, right. it's the horn off his, it's not even whatever he da, took da, it da. from. I mean, we... Da, da, yeah. He uses the... He uses yeah. the, There's a little note before it. There's like a little hit. And we just, Monk's just scratch it. But when he dropped that on it the first time, it was like, whoa. That changed the whole record, you know. Mm. I imagine it was the same when they put that crazy James Brown ascending horn over the funky drummer beat in, right, the, in right. the bomb squad session. Right. It was like, whoa, that's right. different. Um, the Pete Rock remix really, I think, helped y'all in New York as well. Oh, I think it's one of the best remixes ever. Whose idea was that? Um, well, mine. Okay. Uh, Tommy was like, we want to remix the record. You got any ideas? And Pete Rock was Pete on was fucking fire. He was, he was on fire. Yeah. He did the Night Train remix, the Shut Him Down remix, mm -hmm. um, a bunch of records. And uh, I was like, Pete Rock. And um, I remember Pop, I hadn't met him yet, but I, he was working at whichever studio it was, Chung King or mm -hmm. whatever other one you got. They were the primary two studios. It was like, it was like Battery or Chung King. Or it, it was one of those. Right. I think it was Chung King. And I, I was like, I'm going to pop in. It's, I'm paying for the session. That's not out of line, right? It's just right. me. And I didn't run with it. I was me. I used to run around New York by myself. Right. And uh, so I popped in and I was, I was like, yo, yo. And I listened to it. He played. I was just banging. And I'm sitting there waiting. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I'm waiting for Pete Rock to rap. It's over. I'm like, you're not going to rap? And I remember him looking at me like, you want me to? Wow. And I was like. Because he did rap on it. Fuck yeah, I want you to rap. I, yeah. this, I, I'm a guy about voices and shit, and he's one of them dudes that has like a swag voice. He does. Like, like dip, dip, it, yeah, it, just, it just sounds good. Yeah. So he, he was like, okay, I'm going to... And I left, and the next day I got a, I got the mix, and it had him on it with the whole bloodstains the ground. We jump around. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's an ill Pete Rock verse. Um, you want to that... hear a funny story real quick? Yes, please. There I want all the show stories. at... at, at, uh, at uh, Brooklyn Nets Arena, whatever. Uh, Barclays. Uh, Barclays, thank mm -hmm. you. And it was like the, all the old, you know, it was like the kind of a nostalgia hip, I think, mm -hmm. but all good ones. Rock him and and Mob Deep and mm -hmm. uh, Meth and Meth and Red and House of Pain. We did, we did it. It was like on our 25th anniversary run. We mm -hmm. kind of did it. And Pete and CL played. Mm -hmm. And when I saw Pete, I was like, yo, we should, we should bust into the remix halfway through and you come out and bust your verse. It's like, all right, cool, cool, cool. Wow. So we're doing, and this was like, the sets were only like 15 or 20 minutes each. Right. That's one of those nights. So like we get, we're doing jump around and I'm like, ladies and it comes third verse is about to start. And I'm like, ladies and gentlemen, blah, blah, blah. and P-Rock's standing right there where uh -huh. them speakers are right there. He's uh -huh. standing there. I'm looking at uh -huh. And I'm like, ladies and gentlemen, one of the greatest remixes ever. I'm going to give it to you right now. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. P-Rock. And we put on the remix because the idea was like, you do your verse and then I'll mm -hmm. kick it in the third verse, we'll finish the song. Right. And, it's dun, dun, and he's standing there looking at me. <laughs> and he's just like, <laughs> and I'm like, he's vibing out to his beat. I'm like, yo, I didn't say, I wasn't going to, I don't, I'm not one for fuss and right. I don't like the show to look like it was, I was, Right, on, right, right, right. And after like eight bars, when I saw he didn't take one step, I just kicked in the third verse. Wow. And, and I would have been shocked if he knew that verse. 
he's he, maybe that's what it was. Yeah, but when after you the show, he's like, oh, dude, I'm sorry. I'm so, I was I was so high. Oh, he'd be high. <laughs> Pete be high. Peak is high. I watch his Incredible Hulk. Old Incredible Hulk with Lou Ferrigno. Oh, yeah. I was like, but I was staring. I introduced you. <laughs> right. I was. We were. I said, ladies and gentlemen, Pete right. Rock. He thought it was He was like, yeah, out. Pete Rock is dope. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Pete is dope. Who made that? Oh, I made it. I'm Pete Rock. Oh. You guys shot that video in New York City. Was it on St. Patrick's Day? Yes. That was a stroke of genius. Totally illegal, totally pirate. Yeah. Shout Gorilla out to style. Shady Gorilla. Perez. Uh, uh, you know, he directed it, but... Mm -hmm. um, well, let's. Uh, there was there was like permitted parts. The the night version where we're in the bar, the Old mm -hmm. Town Tavern, the oldest bar in New York. Mm -hmm. That was all. Of course, we shut that down and shot that. Mm -hmm. But all the stuff at the parade, we were just jumping in and out of the parade. Yeah, we you you, you know those were the days. I don't I don't go anymore, but I, New York ain't the same. Mm -hmm. But back then, if you went one avenue off on either side of the parade, it was fist fight city. Yeah, it was just drunk Irish dudes fighting. Yeah, and and and. So we knew that, like we Irish were like, just, shit. yeah, just, just shenanigans. Just be out there with cameras, <laughs> right? <laughs> we were like, Yo, right. we're gonna catch crazy shit. What was interesting to me was me growing up in New York. We had a contentious relationship, particularly with Irish police officers. And then when you watch the first Godfather movie, they deal with with this Irish cop in the Godfather For movie, sure. Officer O'Malley, o Officer O'Malley, which uh, Cypress Hill and y'all rapped about. And uh, on pigs. Now, Cypress and Soul Assassins, it was very gangster, anti-cop. House of Pain was an anti-cop group. Was there any friction with pro-cop Irish people when y'all were doing anti-cop music? No, dude. I'm going to tell you, in New York, I used to be walking. Like I said, I went, I'd go meet anybody anywhere, just walk there most of the time. Mm -hmm. I still love to walk New York City. I can't tell you how many times I was walking down the avenue and a police van would pull up and be like, yo. And I'd turn and be like, well, and I'd be smoking a blunt or something. Right. Like, oh, yeah. shit. And this was, and that wasn't cool. That wasn't cool at all. But I'd turn and be like, oh, shit, what? And they'd be like, yo, Everlast? And I'd be like, yeah, you, where are you going? And they'd be like, get in. And they'd right. drive Oh, me my out. God. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, that used to happen all the time. Oh, wow. When I got locked up for the gun at, at JFK, like, um, they put me in the cell. I had fronts, jewelry, all kinds. Mm. I was in the you know, central booking mm -hmm. and fucking about three hours in, they come grab me. Yo, say hello to my son. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'll say hello to your son. That's and some I, other meanwhile, shit. Meanwhile, now I'm like even more worried than just having my jewels tucked. I'm mm -hmm. like, now I'm going to get my ass beat for being out here with the cops and being cool and shit. Right. They never put me back in though. They kept, I ate their, they brought me sandwiches. Wow. <laughs> I was like, and then I, but all night I was like, oh, the minute they put me in, I'm going to get my ass kicked. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? They're going to be like, oh, okay. Yeah. Cause you're down with the boys. Yeah. Yeah. But they kept me out till court time and then just went wow. to court and I got bailed. But so it was, yeah, cops never, they knew exactly how I felt, how we talked, you know. Right. I mean, Officer O'Malley, I, that was the pig's name, but I also did that song with, with uh, Prince Paul on Prince of Thieves. I, that's Prince the character right. I assumed when he was like, write a dirty cop character. I was right. like, oh, that's easy. That's a genius album that gets, oh, that's very slept on. I still want to get, I want to fundraise to make it a Broadway to show. To play, right? <laughs> yeah. I, what, what Kendrick did with, uh, uh, to pimp a butterfly, I feel like the Prince Paul thing was the blueprint for that. Like, because that was like a hip hop opera, you know. And and it, what, Prince Paul had already did it with Prince. Yeah, he didn't get his props. Paul's that was that was a stroke of genius. And I was a, I was I was mad they never tried. I don't know if they ever tried, but I still think it'd be a great right with Breeze and yeah. Breeze uh, Breezely Bruins doing all them. Yeah, that dude was dope. I used yeah, to man. like that shit, dude. Like again, that was a voice. Yeah, that guy. Great that voice. voice. Yeah. Now with with the Irish thing. This is what's interesting to me. I don't know if you know this, but I get into a lot of 
arguments and debates online with people. <laughs> do you? Yes, I do. Word? Yes. <laughs> I didn't know. And so, you know, the alt-right and, you know, is, is, is there's a lot of overlap with, with Nazis and, you know, far-right ethno-nationalists. Right. And there's a book written by these far-right ethno-nationalists. It's a book, a very popular in Nazi circles called White Cargo. And it's, familiar. A, it's a book that talks about, the book makes the claim that you had these Irish slaves that were dealing with the same situations that black slaves were dealing with. Well, I know a little bit about that history, but go ahead. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, you have these Irish. It wasn't the same though. Yeah. You have this there was indentured servitude. You have these Irish stories. Kevin Cruz, I think is one of the main ones. And I, I, an Irish dude could have walked, worked his way to, that's being right. free of the contract. Right. And, and was probably not beating, beaten severely right. and starved right. or and it's still like, it's still And a, his wife probably wasn't raped. Right. And his it's still children a probably history. weren't put up for sale. Right. But a lot of people, the, the reason why the alt-right, and not the alt-right, but these Nazis, these far-right, they try to push this myth of this, like this Irish thing is, is the same because they're trying to get people to have white pride. And so I'm somebody who's a pro-black artist and you've worked with a number of pro-black artists and I would even venture to say that you're a pro-black artist, right? I feel like you have pro-black... I, I wouldn't say I'm anti. Yeah, you're you know pro-black. I mean? If you give me a, 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 a situation of... of Justice or not justice, I'm gonna look at look toward justice. Hopefully, that's what I like right. to think of myself. You know? Now, pro blackness. Half my family is black, by the way. Right. Like I'm all my nephews and nieces. You know what I mean? Like, right. That's how I met and started to get to know David Banner. Right, like, Banner's such a good dude. Love yeah. Banner. Um, pro blackness has always been like racist social construct. Doesn't work in biology, right? We're all human beings, right? The whiteness and the blackness was invented to justify slavery. So. What happens is pro-white is always some Nazi KKK shit. Pro-black is always about equality, trying to push back against that shit. But what you did with House of Pain was interesting is that you took it out of the claiming the white thing and claiming the Irish thing, you know? And I think that's important, I think, for especially white hip-hop fans. Well, because I didn't think about it in, ter in these terms back then, by mm -hmm. any means, because you didn't have to, really. But right. like, if it's a I different framed time. it now, I would say white's not a culture. Mm. That's White. so true. It's, Irish is a culture. That's German right. is a culture. Dutch is a culture. Uh, English is a culture. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Um, to just try to make whiteness something is, you know, so is Cron Don White? If right. you're making white, you know what I mean? Right. Like, it's like, you know, right. he actually did that a great group with the, the, the white brothers or something. The, the, like, white boys. The white boys. White, <laughs> that's yeah. right. But, that's, but if you see where I'm going with that, yeah. like, if you're going to make it strictly about the melanin content, then there's a lot of questionable what's white and what's black. Right. You know I mean, if you're going to talk about culture, that's another thing where it came down to the Irish thing. Danny is responsible for, for, for that coming into fruition. Mm -hmm. Not that he pushed it, but it's like once we found that I'm Irish German, mm -hmm. I think three quarters Irish, a quarter German. Um, and, and me and Danny realized the Irish thing was in common and it was in a time of public enemy and, and, um, uh, pro-black mm -hmm. uh, uh, music in that sense. And 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 we were just like trying to be like, all right, well, we have an identity too. Mm -hmm. And we're going to present it to you in black music, with, right. through black music. You know what I mean? We never like shied away. Like there, I always thought, and, and, and shout out to Search. I really got a lot of love for him. But yeah. I thought a lot of times he got himself into trouble with folks because he would start saying like, Claiming the original man, it's like right. dude, you don't have to go that far. Just right, bad guys were black. Yeah, yeah. No, that's not even what I'm, I'm talking okay. about. He would go farther than that. Yeah, sometimes, he, he was you know? there were times where he got the character in 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 the Spike Lee movie. Right, it's, it, it's all, the there Mal was a Mal few Mal moments where he almost was that guy right, in real life. Right, you know right. what I mean? It's like 
the intention in the heart was right and good and all that. You know, I'm just saying, I'm saying that might've got you in more trouble than it was worth mm. by just being like, Hey, I'm like this and I'm down with this and I'm going to present it to you in this right. medium that mm. is black music. I think it's important to note. Uh, I, I, I agree with everything you said that the reason why I agree that whiteness is not a culture and blackness becomes a culture because of the slave trade, mm-hmm. because of the disrupting sure. of the family. We don't know where we are from. We don't know where our people's from. So we unite under this black, Thing. But even I went to see um, Sam Kuti, who's Fela Kuti's son, perform, and he did this whole speech on stage about how he's claiming African over black. You know, and Fela Kuti, his father was like, I'm the black president. But now he's just with the thing claiming the African culture. And Africa, of course, is not a country, it's a continent. But I, I, I like that level of wokeness. You know, from from pro-black communities, that's the next evolution. We went from black nationalism to cultural nationalism to now it's like we own the black thing. But now it's like you have artists like Kendrick and J. Cole who are pro-black artists, but they're now out there like I'm black and I'm black and I'm black. It's more of um, I'm not your idea of what, what a black person. What was that from? Um, CB4 maybe? Was it that? I think it was CB4. Yeah, I'm, I'm black. When they Chris broke Rock. up and the one guy went solo, right? Yeah, that was uh, Alan Payne. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm black and he's black. Yeah, I'm, I'm black and I'm black. <laughs> But even that was kind of making fun of Q-Tip and Jungle Brothers. And then we're like, black is black is black is black. It's like, right. we were embracing that. Schoolie D had one that was kind of in that oh, yeah. too. Oh, uh, yeah. A black. Am I black enough for I'm, you? Am I, am I black enough for you? Yeah, yeah that's gangster shit. Uh, you were probably responsible for a lot of frat brothers with fighting Ar- Irish and shamrock tattoos. Who do you feel like is the cool, iconic um, role model for Irish people today? Is it like Conor McGregor, Macklemore? Now, th- before I answer that, is it Macklemore or Macklemore? It's Macklemore. That's what I It's like it's okay, French. That's what I thought. So Macklemore. That's how <laughs> I always say it. But then I'll hear Macklemore, Macklemore and I'll be like, um, I got no problem with Macklemore, like holding like, you know, a, a piece of that. He's I've met him. He's a solid dude. He writes yeah, he the is Irish solid. well. Um, he took me on tour and I, he he his his last song is an Irish, sort of an Irish bar song that he reappropriated for hip hop. I have to. I'm so dadded out. I don't. He comes out. Recent. He raps. You the said flag. you're what out. He raps. The oh, flag. Yeah, live. You mean live? Okay, yeah, yeah, live. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And he the whole the whole stadium becomes like stadium. By the stadium. way, stadium. Yeah, stadium becomes because and it's like you know the orange, green, and red. I mean orange, green, and white. And me and Big Crit open for him, and we're just like, what the fuck? <laughs> what are we doing here? <laughs> Shout go out ahead. to Dante Ross though because uh, mm-hmm. he was trying to sign Macklemore and mm-hmm. I think that the company he was with said no nah, and he helped him plug his whatever uh, yeah, Dante's a good dude man yeah. I run out I run into Dante in these streets yeah. like to this day yeah. I'll be he's in a club a in a dark club he's somewhere he's a county Dante, man now I know he's out here doing his you know he's out here he's, Dante's too hard for Cali I think he's he's you know He's he's settling. He's me- mellow. He got now. a driver's license. That's when I knew. <laughs> that's when I knew he was sticking around. Wait, Wait you had just asked me something. I'm sorry. Oh yeah, we were talking about. I I interrupted Jasmine's question about who's holding it down. Oh Irish. Um. Uh. Uh. uh like you, you said, Magnamore. Remind me, is there mothers? Um, well, there I was just giving you examples, right. but who do you think is? I'm, I'm the just new not hip to everything that's going on. Who's Irish out there right now? <laughs> you use the term. You're dadded out. Yeah, I'm dad. Oh, now. okay. I'm just, <laughs> That's funny. Right, dad vibes. Dad, dad, you know, except for the fit. I'm dad. He's out. dad with drip. Yeah. Trip dad. It's yeah, he doesn't have the dad schools cap. Dad God. I'm an alien. Like, <laughs> I look like an alien at my daughter's schools. Like, the other dads are like in cargos and Reebok, like dad shoes. And, right. Like, I'm like, new balances. You know, yeah. Like, tighten it up, bro. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's not time to do that yet. You have time. <laughs> like, don't you hear 50s and new 30, bro? Come on. Now, How's the pain being a, a group of white guys or a group of Irish guys? Um, 
I feel like, and because you now that you've informed me that you that y'all started with the rock vibe, you end up touring with the Ramones, Beastie Boys, Rage Against the Machine. Took Rage on their first tour ever. Yeah. Same corn took them on their first tour. Talk to me about that era and that when that when that rap and rock was starting to come together. Well, we were always like tried to bring a rock intensity to things, mm -hmm. um, and then again, Danny being the leader as far as like knowledge of punk rock and uh, and mm -hmm. that whole scene, he was he was a big fan of the sub pop, you know, uh, scene yeah, coming out of Seattle. Yeah, and Butch Vig was a big producer amongst those guys, mm -hmm. and that's when he was the one who suggested the Butch Vig remix of. Shamrocks and Shenanigans, I mm -hmm. believe, which kind of bolstered that song up quite a bit and mm -hmm. opened that whole. We went from getting offers from rock, uh, hip hop clubs, <clears throat> excuse me, to now we were getting offered rock shows, like mm -hmm. opening with playing with other bands and festivals and kind of stuff like that. Um, and from there, then I think after that, I did a song like right after Kurt Cobain um, passed away, like called Legend. That was. I was a huge Kurt Cobain fan, and that yeah, broke man. my heart. And I, I don't listen to, his, I can't listen to the records anymore. But, man, that's that's deep. But I, that's why I wrote that record. I was mm. mad. I was mad at him. Mm. But uh, not that I knew him or he owed me shit. But right, I but was, you I knew him pissed. musically, spiritually. <laughs> I was like, damn, that hurt, dude. Fuck. Yeah, man. I, Kirk was so, uh, Kurt was so big for the culture. I remember I was completely immersed in hip hop when when uh, Teen Spirit dropped, and it rocked my world. I, it's just like, what the, what is this? I need to pay attention to this. I was already kind of into like, uh, the, you know, like uh, suicidal tendencies and, and and Operation Ivy, and some of the and Dinosaur Junior and and yeah. Rollins Band and stuff like that. But what what Nirvana did, it was just like visually, musically, yeah, man, it was so powerful. Um, Judgment Night was a big deal for me when yeah. that came out because I was like all those bands. You had Biohazard out of Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. And I was into Biohazard, but I was into Onyx. I was, you know, Karis one. Who Karis one rock with on that? Let me see. There was us and Helmet. There was Cypress did too. You they and did. Helmet. That song is a perfect rock rap song. The one with you and Helmet. Well, we approached it like um, Helmet was already working on that song when when we showed up the studio, mm -hmm. and we were like, "Well, what do we want to do?" And I was like, "And he was like, this is something we could use," you mm -hmm. know. And I was like, "I like it." Y'all like, flipped it. It was almost done. Yeah, and we were like, "Just give it to us." And we'll, no, we didn't take it, but we're like, give us it and lethal sampled it and slowed it down. Right, and we flipped it. Yeah, and we just made it our own. It was own. like chopped the screw. We basically did what that, there, I see that um, little internet clips where they give a, a record producer three records and he mm -hmm. goes and makes a beat. It's kind of like the same principle. We just were like, it took elements of their shit and made a beat. And then I just rapped over it. Uh, you were also in that movie. Um, well, that's, the soundtrack doesn't have, I, long story, without any bitterness, that I should have been the executive producer mm -hmm. and all that of that soundtrack. Mm -hmm. But uh, the guy who wound up with it was my manager. Okay. And he started a label with That the makes money. sense. It was, it was one of those situations. I ain't got no hate. I ain't got no bitterness mm -hmm. about it. But like a smarter me, me now, right. would I, that record would have made me, I'd be flying private for the rest of my life. Right, more control. I mean, but point is, is like the, I was in the movie and- and the director hated me, by the way. Oh, no. <laughs> director hated me. Like, I, I worked, so, I was in that movie so much more than I'm in it. Uh -huh. Like, there's so much of me on the cutting room floor somewhere. <laughs> uh, but he hated me. He didn't want me in the movie. I was the rap guy that was hot at the time. The producers wanted me in the movie. And they liked me. Every, everybody liked me but the director. Right. But anyway. You were very The convinced. producers were like, what do you think of music? Mm -hmm. And we had just done that Butch, Butch Vig remix. And I was like, I kind of got an idea. Uh, it was like, we can get 
a bunch of bands and I'd been meeting a bunch of these bands already. Like touring. Them. Yeah. I was like, just kind of put bands and rap groups in studios together and see what the fuck happens. That was my world. That The best that, record on there, dude, is De La Soul and Teenage Fan Club, yeah, man. Because it's the different record. It's not the... Mm-hmm. It's not... It's it's the one that comes out of nowhere. It's like, oh, shit. Everyone was outside of their comfort zone yeah. in that, on, that, on that record. Yeah. Uh, me as a consumer, again, I was... I was listening to a lot of hardcore and punk, listening to a lot of hip-hop, and it was two different audiences. And that record validated me. You know, judgment. I just as a consumer, I was like, someone else gets it. You know what I'm saying? So I appreciate you uh thank you, man. I mean again coming up with just, that idea and having it taken from you. I, I tell people all the time, I don't like the, it's like hard to take credit for things when it was like a road sign. It was like things mm-hmm. that come down. I just keep seeing the sign that says do this. Mm-hmm. I'm, I don't have any genius plan of anything. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I'd probably be a lot richer and, <laughs> and, and more organized. But, right. but, but I, mean, like, I just see things happening. Like I said, that Butch Vigor just happened. And then I get asked this question when I'm already thinking about what would happen if you did more of this. So I put that, and that happens and, you know. Right. But I pay such close attention. I, you know, the record gets taken out from under me. It happened the way it's supposed to yeah. happen. Yeah. It is what it is. Um, now, House of Pain disbanded in 96. Yeah. What was the reason? I guess it depends on who you ask in okay. the band. For me, there was drug problems amongst the other cats. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know, I'm not going to throw any, but it just, it wasn't. That was that was 40% of it. Mm-hmm. S- the other 60% was I, I was showing up just to get the check. Mm-hmm. And I, and I, Your heart I, wasn't in it. I, I never I never cared about um, it just started feeling like there was like doing things that I didn't want to do mm-hmm. because I, that check was good. Mm-hmm. And that just, when I started, this was in a different era, everybody, when there was like actually this thing called selling out and you had a soul and yeah. <laughs> you, had to weigh, yeah. you had to weigh the options. You know what I <laughs> mean? Now, now all like, that's part of the game. Out. What are you uh, uh, yeah, that's all in this 360 deal. You, you sell out as soon as you sign your soul yeah. over in that. Mm-hmm. But, um, I, it just felt like I wasn't enjoying it. And I thought, and honestly, um, I thought it was a wrap. You know, I, I was just, I was like, I, we, I quit House of Pain at our LA release party yeah. <laughs> on stage. Right. It was a dick move. It was probably one, it's one of the things I regret mm. most as I turned around. You announced around. it. I, it's just, I, it's, it's, something bad happened already during the show. I think, I think somebody wasn't all in their right mind at the mm-hmm. show already. And like, I just turned around right before jumping around and I told the guys, enjoy it. It's the last time. Mm. Wow. And like, I did it and I walked, it was at the Viper room. Cause it was a release party. It wasn't like a big show. Classic spot. So I walk off the stage and the door's right there. And I walked out the door and mm. I got in my car and that was, and I went home. So you didn't know before that moment that you were going to quit th- right then. No, I had, I had, my brain was definitely start to wonder what I wanted to do next. Like what? I, and this was again. I I had had a run with Jump Around and two more albums that went gold, and I felt like, okay, how how many chances you get? Yeah, you know what I mean. And then I had always played guitar. Like if you listen to the first House of Pain album, there's like some country licks and shit that mm-hmm. we didn't sample. That's me just playing. Like don't I say like every time I go to town, people start kicking. I'm playing the guitar under that. Mm-hmm. That's it's not hard, but it's I've always strummed it a little bit. Yeah. And I went home and I didn't know what I was doing. I actually got depressed and the doctors put me on this shit called Zoloft. Mm. Right. Yeah, that was new back then. It was brand new. Yeah. I didn't know what it was really. I didn't know it was like, you know, that crazy shit. I was in high school and they was giving it to kids in my high school. For testes or what? No, no, because uh, here's the deal. <laughs> no, here's the deal. Uh, wow, this is going to get here. All right, let's go. <laughs> I, I started thinking I was going to die. Uh. All right. I was like, um, 
you know, I'm going to die. I'm freaking out. I don't know what the fuck to do. This, this is, um, in 97, about probably about a little while after I quit that um, group. And he's like, you're having panic attacks. I'm like, yeah, I'm right. I'm panicking it. Cause I think I'm going to fucking die. You know, mm-hmm. it was like, you know, and he was like, I right, hear this. It's just panic attacks. You're fine. He did physicals on me. They couldn't find anything wrong. I had a heart murmur, but they knew why they were like, they're, they weren't tripping on it. Okay, cool. And he gives me these drugs. This will help. I start taking them. And I, and I, and I spend the next three, four days as they're supposedly absorbing into my body, like a zombie in front of my television, like, mm. and speak, you know, bring it back around who lo and behold, who call, lo and behold, who calls me is Dante Ross. Mm-hmm. And he's like, and I'm talking to him for about five minutes when he's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> and I like, I don't know, man. My doc's got me on this shit. And, mm-hmm. and what does he got? It was like, I told him Zoloft. He was like, dude, it's like, what the fuck? And I, right. and, um, he's like, that's like fucking lithium or crazy mind shit. I was like, okay. And then I caught myself drooling. Like, oh no. It's like, oh shit. He's like, it's like, what the fuck are you doing? And I, so I told him, so I don't know what it's over. Right. I was like, he was like, dude, get on a fucking plane. Get on a plane and come to New York. And I went on, got on a plane, I got it and went to New York and we started making what became Whitey Four Sings the Blues. Fantastic oh, no, no. Album. no, no. Yeah, we, we started making that record. Um, we did all the rap, all the just straight rap shit that's mm-hmm. on that record was the first stuff done because I just thought I was making a rap record. Mm-hmm. I was going to make this rap record. Stayed in his, in his apartment. Um, I was literally sleeping on what's what's known back then as the famous rapper couch. Like every fucking rapper in the fucking world, like skeeves me a little bit now to think I slept there. <laughs> but, uh, but like every fucking rapper right. in the world slept on this couch at right. some point. But uh, I, was, I was strumming a guitar. I don't know if it was one he had in the house or I had one with me, but it was the I was playing the chords of what it's like, and I had like some of the structure. But it I wasn't it wasn't something I was even thinking about recording. It was That's just, a great record. It was, it was for me. I was just fucking around, like doing something. That's a conscious record. He comes bouncing out of the back room of his house, like, "What the fuck is that?" And I was, I don't know. And he's like, "We're recording it tomorrow." Mm-hmm. And I was okay, and we record what it's like. Mm-hmm. Then we figure out we got to make a different kind of record so i got all these rap songs and what it's like so i have to figure out now am, am i a songwriter mm-hmm. and so that that's where all the rest of those songs i think ends came next ends i think originally was conceived as a rap song the hook and everything and like and i just kind of was struggling ends to is get, a rap phrase yeah it's it's friends yeah how many of us have them right. it's a tribute to that you know right. it's like mm-hmm. a, um it's a, 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 what do you call it? Homage. Right. But ends the word too. Yes, you're yeah. right. I'm sorry. It's for money. It's slang. Yeah. So uh, that happened first. And I put the, then I wrote the verses that were singing kind of story verses. And then I wrote the song today. And it started looking like, whoa, this is a weird record. And, um, but we didn't know how to make it work. Sonically, the label was hating it. Mm. Tommy hated that record. They thought it was a fucking moronic move. They were like, Rapper sing, what are you gonna do? Right. I heard that it didn't did it not do well until you went on the road with it? Oh, it took a while. I mean, okay. I remember this is in the era of first weeks meaning a lot, and that sold three thousand records its first week. That's we yeah, like, that back now you got a hit. Now it's like that's a hit. We did well. Yeah, yeah. But back then it was like especially coming off of House of Pain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the trick for that record was um and Dante kind of figured out a lot of it was the the voice messages that he put on it from different cats off the machine some after i had my thing but some he had actually asked you're talking about the heart thing 
Yeah, I have my heart. That happened right towards the end of recording. Can you that talk? Album. Tell us about that. That's for what people. I'm, so I'm saying okay. the story is going to like kind of go into okay, like okay, more okay. things. But like, uh, he got all these answering machine messages from like Sand Dog and Prince Paul and, and and people, and put them in between. It like it was like a palate cleanser. Mm. So like, going from a crazy rap song into like some melodic next thing, it gave you a second to recalibrate, and it right. made it work. Um, but like I said, um. Oh, so then we finished up and we, I, I, it was, I think we were going to do like two more recording sessions and I just was feeling tired one day mm. and, uh, I went upstairs, went to bed and we were all recording in my house at that time in, in LA and, uh, I woke up in the hospital mm. like after this, after everything was done, like. Mm. And basically what I found out was the heart murmur I had was caused from what's called a bicuspid aortic valve. I was born with it. They're like, your your heart valve is, when it's closed, it looks like a Mercedes sign. Mm. The three flaps come together and the line is like that. Well, two of mine were fused together, so it created a gap, which that's what the murmur was, a little bit of blood leaking through. Well, at some point on that day or prior to it, um, the, the fused part tore. So mm. now the flap that when blood pumps out of my heart and then it closes so the blood will continue mm-hmm. is open and mm-hmm. so the blood's pumping heart or the heart's pumping blood out but it's falling right back in the heart basically so it's mm-hmm. like you're pumping about 10% of the blood you normally mm-hmm. would that's why i'm tired so i'm like oh i didn't know this till later but so i was tired all day went to bed went to sleep now dante's partner john gamble who was mm-hmm. the other half of sd50s um was recording a day and heard me i guess struggling to breathe tried to wake me up couldn't wake me up that was the first lucky stroke Wow. Second lucky stroke is I was living in a place called Laurel Canyon, which is like blocks away from Cedar Sinai, right. which is the best hospital in the world. If right. you could. So they re- they wheel me in there, see tattoos, heart tripping. How much cocaine has he done? Oh, They're asking damn. everybody, come on, we need to right. know heroin, cocaine. What has he done? If we give him the wrong shit, is, and it was like he doesn't. You know, they were just assuming. Mm-hmm. The next stroke of luck is that my heart doctor. I'll shout him out, Dr. Robert Koblen. Shout out to Dr. Koblen. <laughs> Dr. Koblen uh, is on the board of Cedars. So what? he doesn't work there, but he's part of the board. But what that means is his medical records are all accessible through their system. Mm. So after a few minutes of my name going in, my heart thing pops up and they go, oh, shit. Mm. And the whole story changes. Right. And they have to rush me in. I'm, I don't remember any of this except bits and pieces of like, lights going by in hallways and the actual surgery room lights. I can remember, I don't, cause they freeze you when they operate in your heart like that. Basically wow. they bring your body temperature down so much that your blood slows. They can work on your heart. Mm. Um, and I believe there's probably a machine oxygenating your blood. I don't know, but I would hope so. But right. um, when they freeze you, that affects your memory. Like mm. I remember when the, my mother telling me afterwards, like when, when they were done, they were like the, the surgery worked great. Now we just got to see if he's brain damaged because wow. that's what happens when wow. that's like, it's possibility to happen when you do this kind of deep of a surgery. This is like a complete reverse, like replacement of a heart valve. Like wow. I have a titanium heart valve. I tick. If we were quiet right now and you turn up, the, his, this lab mic is going to have a all night. Just so no, that's not your equipment. All right. Okay. Because <laughs> I fucked with lots of engineers behind okay. that shit. Like, like what's a that sound? I want to like, be around for the mix of this episode. Right, oh, you're, I mean, well, you won't hear it there, but I'll okay. give you just give them a sample. They'll have it. Li- wow. Yeah. I 
Actually, on the head's not. It's crazy because I can't hear it, but I was think I was trying to hear it, even though I know you said later on. Uh, I'm like, I'll let you listen. It's it's it sounds like a watch. Mm. Sounds like a ticking watch. It's like Iron Man. Yeah, it's a superhero. Do you feel like Dante kind of saved you from a deeper depression from telling you to get absolutely. on the plane? Absolutely. He saved my life. I mean, not that I was like suicidal or anything, but like I would have just probably quit. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't even have tried. I would just fucking been like, all right, I had enough money to last a few years. I might have just got fat in my house and and not done anything right. until I had to. Been that guy who used to be that guy. The guy who used to be that guy. Yeah. Johnny Ryan. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> Um, Whitey Ford, does that name come from you being a white guy or is it a baseball thing? Um, well, he's Irish too. Let's, mm-hmm. let's not. I, Cause I, I was a baseball guy growing up and yeah, I idolized yeah, Whitey I'm Ford a Yankee. and, 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 Yankee and Brooklyn is yeah. there's a, a Whitey Ford like a league. I think it's, it's, it comes from a lot of things. It comes from the woo era of everybody changing their name five times, having right. five different monikers. Noodles. And it was like that. The thing about that, that a lot of people, if they didn't understand it was, it was like a mask you could put on a character you put on every time and it helped rearrange your creativity a lot. You could mm-hmm. start, well, I can refer to myself in this way. There's a whole different rhyme schemes or ideas I can use. But for me, it was just when it hit me, I started, I, I think it's just, I started calling it before. I didn't name the album Whitey Ford Sings the Blues right away. It was mm-hmm. like, I said in a rap, they call me Whitey Ford. I said, praise the Lord, something like that. I was, mm-hmm. I, I started referring to myself as that, like a little right. side moniker. And then somewhere along the line, I said the phrase that we were talking about the album. And I was like, you know, it's the, Whitey Ford sings the blues. Not even like thinking it was going to be a t- And then it's just as soon as you hear it roll off the tongue, we were like, that's the fucking name of the album. Right. You know, it was when, and again, that's kind of the way I live. It's things just kind of, you see them, you know, you see it in the air. It's kind of, you know, it's um, Santana used to say, we're all just antenna and the signals are floating around and you're just trying to catch the signal. Right. That's why sometimes you could write some shit and somewhere half, we're halfway across the world, something real similar can happen. Mm-hmm. And you'll be like, how the fuck? It's because it's all in the air. It's energy, You know what I mean? So, and there's only so many combinations. No doubt. Yeah, I think it's very interesting that you came into my life as a rapper, as this MC, but at this point, it seems to the vast majority of your catalog is singing as as a solo artist. Probably. Yeah. 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 yeah there's more albums. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And well, I mean, if you're counting the Co- La Coca Nostra, yeah, it's still probably a few more. Like, yeah. We don't get into that too. I want to talk about La Coca Nostra as well. Um, you had a famous beef with Eminem <laughs> <laughs> that got squashed yeah, yeah, yeah. right now. Uh, you actually that that beef was y'all was going at each other, and then it was at, at the, the at, only guys that battled on Napster. Honestly, I think that, wow, that Napster, Napster. throwback. <laughs> yeah. Now you got a shout out from Eminem on Marshall Matters too. Um, was it re- was it a relief for that to be done with? I don't. It was never. I mean, it was never a stress factor. Okay, it was. It was the only time it became a stress factor. Honestly, is like, um, I didn't really expect when we had our initial problem and it was purely personal. Like I, I felt slighted by him mm-hmm. at a, at a meeting, like our first initial meeting, I tried to shake his hand and just kind of felt like I got egged and mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, okay. And then I put a little kind of sub 
what they'd call a subtweet or something. Like, <laughs> the first of the subtweets. Song, right. We had evidence which, here. Which he, got he them talked. in trouble, which really wasn't fair because they rode for me when they were asked about it instead right. of like folding up. You know I mean? They were my boys. Right. But they shouldn't even have been involved in that. But just to see what, we're, you know, if, if, if it would get noticed and it got noticed. And the funny part was that I got called from B-Real because at that moment in time, they were managed by Paul Rosenberg. Mm-hmm. Cypress Hill was. So my brothers are managed by M's mm-hmm. manager. And, and they asked me like, yo, M heard this record. And he's just curious if you dissed him. And I was like, so he thinks, you know, so he take, so he's taking notice of me all of a right, sudden, right? right. <laughs> so I was like, I, my answer literally was like, well, what if I say yeah? <laughs> oh. And B-Real was like, well, you know he's going to come at you. I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. Right. You know what I mean? And then uh, I kind of forgot about it. It didn't, he didn't come back at me for a, a, a couple, maybe a couple of weeks. I kind of mm-hmm. was like, okay, whatever. And then that, well, you couldn't put records out as quick as what it was. Right. It had to be a whole now. process. Now you can and do it. And he put it on the B side of a of 12. And it was a, a record called Quit or Quitter or Quitter. Mm-hmm. And it was like skate. It was like, yeah, I'm old. I'm three years older than this guy. Right. Like that. So I laughed at that <laughs> right. at this point. Uh, and, but then it was like, you're old, take a heart pill. And I was like, okay. It was nothing that was like, all right. You know, mm-hmm. that, that, you know, the problem was when he bled over into that alternative market, mm-hmm. right? And this was, and I don't even think this was purposeful by their camp at all. Because during this whole beef, whatever it went on for a year or two, like when I was in New York, if, if I was hanging out with people and Paul Rosenberg was there and it was like, we're going somewhere else. I jumped in their van and went. To right. Them. I remember the first couple of times going like, "This is cool, right, Paul?" He'd be like, hey, "Come on, get the fuck out of here." We right. know so many people in common. Right. Me and this dude. And then lethal, lethal was in Limp Biscuit at this time, right? Yeah. For me, it was never about making a record to get paid off of him. You know, that's mm-hmm. why I never released anything. It was on. It was digital. It was on. I put it on Napster. Right. You know what I mean, the, the 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 actual one disc record I made. The first thing that started it was like a, a line mm-hmm. in a in a verse. You know. Um, so what I didn't count on, cause I was like me and this dude ain't even in the same worlds right now. So this mm-hmm. is just fun to me. Right. Is that when that record bled over into like all the alternative stations. Right. And I don't think, again, I was, this is where I was. I don't think they did it on purpose, but the record stations would start having their summer festivals and their Christmas shows, their big shows that, and they would want Eminem to play that. Mm-hmm. All right. So I really, you know, Got the feeling quite a few times that they, I wasn't getting invited because they wanted them to play it, you know. Right. I mean? And again, I don't think they were being directed by Paul or anything. Being like, because I know all these dudes. Mm-hmm. It was just the facts and the politics of the game mm-hmm. that we were mad at each other, and perhaps me playing that thing might have might have um, kept him from playing. Right. So that's the only way that thing ever really hurt me, mm-hmm. you know. As far as that, and it, and it wasn't that, you know I've never been the one chasing the ring like that. So. It was all fun to me. Be Real, who was also on the show, said that uh, there was another record that never came out. There, I was right when it finally was like, about, like when Be Real kind of intervened. Mm-hmm. And and I tried to get on the phone with Dude, honestly, and it just didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but Be Real intervened and was like, you know, here's, here's let's let's approach like this. And I was like, fine, bygones, mm-hmm. bygones, I'm cool with that, whatever. But um, at that moment, there was... It was a whitey forty style kind of thing. It wasn't really, it wasn't really hashed out. Okay. You know what I mean? It was something there, like that was funny more than anything right, right, else. Right. My approach again was like trying to be funny You're about fun. shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'll say in hindsight, the only thing that 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 I would have done different is 
he thought in the first rec- like li- record that I did a little line about him on in Dilated Peoples, mm-hmm. I say something about Haley's comment at that. I didn't know his daughter's name was Haley, right? Mm. But he got very upset about that mm-hmm. part. And then that got exposed that he knew so much about, or he was so upset that he thought I had said something about his daughter that I, I used that in the disc, the second disc, like to mm-hmm. kind of, eh, eh, not like I didn't say anything about the child, ch- just like right. use the, the emotion of it. Like, okay, I'll, I'll, he was about to go to jail or something. And I said, I'll look in on your kid, what, you know, drop, you know, like that kind of mm-hmm. like little jam. Right. I wouldn't have done that if like at this age with a, as a parent, right. two dog, I wouldn't have done that part. Right. That's the only part of that side that I would say like, ah, I regret that part. How did oh, the it, rest of it was fun. How did it feel having beef with who was like one of the biggest musicians in the earth at the time? Well, that, that happened during the course, kind of. That really, his, his es- escalation by no means the beef being a reason for right, it, right. but he became Elvis as we were having that little tussle. <laughs> you know I mean? That's what <laughs> I'm saying. black music so selfish. I didn't count on him bleeding into all markets. Right. Just, <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> right. just the so. one little one. <laughs> right. Um, no, that's interesting. We, you know, MC8 was up here and he was talking about how the decisions he makes now as a father are different than when he was a young, hot-headed gangster rapper. I would fucking hope so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would hope so. I mean, it's. I mean, particularly like, you know, I always thought I'd have sons, I have two daughters, and I couldn't be happier about it, but I, it's, it's a different game. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm a different dude. Yeah. Like, you can't just be... Rah, rah, rah. Right. You can't. You'll raise some really scared kids. Right. You know, you got to lay back. Right. Zen no doubt. Out. Do you feel like if you would have had sons, you'd have still been the same sort of laid back, laid back or is it because you have girls that you're Probably a little right? more because they're children, but like sons, you can kind of like slap them on the ass and turn them loose on the world a little right. bit. Like, you know, just don't fucking break anything. Go. <laughs> <laughs> um, I got both. I got to figure it out. Um, you went from playing around on guitar to to putting out guitar-based albums to working one of the, with one of the guitar gods, Carlos Santana. That had to be like a dream come true. Another thing of signs that just happened. Um, the song, Put Your Lights On. Great song, by the way. Thank you. It's literally the first song I wrote when I got out of the hospital. Mm. And I didn't have... Here's the, the quick... The long short of the, the song is um, I didn't have health insurance at that time. Like my finances were up and I had all the things. I had all these bills. So I canceled health insurance for a little while. <laughs> and mm-hmm. literally that's when, you know, my heart goes, my defect goes wrong. And I mm-hmm. wind up with like, you know, good six, seven hundred thousand dollars in bills. Wow. I had to sell my house in the hills. Wow. And this put your lights on is me sitting in an empty house. Mm in a chair looking out the last time I'm going to spend the night in this house, looking out the view, which saw all of LA and the sun going down and the lights coming on. Mm. And that's, Hey, now all you sinners, all you, and I was like low. I was mm. like, dude, what's my late, my label. Whitey Ford wasn't out yet. Like, um, when I wrote the song, uh, so I'm like, my label hates my album. I just nearly damn died. And mm. who knows if I won't be dead tomorrow. I had mm. no clue. I was shook. From the whole experience, because I went to bed and woke up at Cedar Sinai, right? And uh, so I wrote this song, and 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 there's a there was this there's a referring to an angel in there that with her hand on my head. There was a nurse at the hospital. I tried to go and think that I can find that even exists. Mm. That like spent evenings with me. That's wow. your angel. 
I'm telling you, I talk, I'm saying, I'm talking. That's where this song comes from. And Whitey Ford was already mixed and mastered. So I have this song. Now, kind of sneakily, but not in a in a in a in a in a in a bad way, but Dante submits it for the Santana album. I don't know this. Mm-hmm. I get booked to do Saturday Night Live, which that is a one that's a big one to me. That's a big one. Wow, I got to okay, yeah. let's go. So we're at one of the like the last rehearsals before show, and I go back to my room, and some, one of my boys comes in. And he's like, "Yo, dude," and I'm like, and he looks fucking bizarre, and he's like, "Yo, Carlos Santana's out here looking for you." Wow, like, get the fuck out of here! <laughs> and as I say, get the fuck out of here. Carlos Santana walks into the room, right. and he sits down and proceeds to like almost beg me for this song. Wow. It's the if you read the liner notes on his album, it's the first song he picked for the album. He calls it the centerpiece of his album. Yeah, and I was like, and he's like sitting there begging me for it, and I'm like, okay, <laughs> you know, I'm like, and he's like, I just he connected with the angels and all this, and he's like, what's it? I told him what it's yeah, about. He's like, he's that guy, right? Have spiritual. To have this, this is everything. This mm-hmm. is everything in the universe right now. I was like. Cool, right? <laughs> sure, I'm dead ass. Like Mr. Santana, awesome, right? This is cool. You know, I don't know what else to say. You know, yeah, the album. I've tripped on acid watching you right. trip on acid. Right, wow. <laughs> you know right. I mean? Man, the album was so big and so. It was. It was wild. It was. Yeah, so it was how many Grammys ride. did the album win? Well, dude, he. I. I owned. I wrote that song outright. Um, so he went twenty million, I think. So yeah, that's twenty like million. I, I, that's like I got a double platinum record out of that album. Yeah. One song, it's crazy, man. That's divine writing from your experience. Providence. Um, being that you went through all these label situations, starting with Rhyme Syndicate, you were on Def Jam at some point, right? Island Def Jam, but yeah, I mean, I milked the Def Jam side of it because it right. made me feel good. Right, you got to say. <laughs> but Lior that. was was like the dude. That's a crazy story right there. Let's hear that one, the Def Jam story. Well, I get signed by um. Oh my God, I can't remember your name, dude. He was uh he was married to the uh, the the lady who I, I'm such a stoner. I can't remember her name. <laughs> but right under Lior, the lady that ran Def Jam, Julie, I believe something. Well, her husband was an A&R guy. And I didn't have a deal or anything. And this dude, some I didn't have managers or anything at this point. Like, I was just kind of like, Muggs had a studio in L.A. And I was just sitting in there doing shit. Mm-hmm. Um, making what became the White Trash Beautiful record. Mm-hmm. And this guy comes and sits in my studio for like a couple weeks. Never fucking mentions a record deal or anything. Every night, fucking, he buys me dinner and we talk about music. Mm-hmm. A couple weeks he hangs out. And then he goes back to New York. Never fucking asked about a deal. I was, and I was like, oh shit, my record must suck. Right. I was like, whoa. You know, a few days later, he comes back. And I'm so ashamed I can't remember his name, man. There's no space left in this computer, dude. We'll get it in, um, in the comment section. Somebody um, will. We'll add Julie it. Say it's Jeff's, what? Julie, Julie Greenwald's husband? husband? Yes. Jeff? Jeff Greenwald? <laughs> no, he had a different name. But he was he had done a lot of an A&R stuff. This okay. dude was an A&R guy. Like he knew how to play this. He okay. didn't come and fucking try and sign No, he's me. the guy. He came and, and and worked a relationship, you know what I mean? Um it wasn't Jeff Fenster, but I, uh, I I'm sorry, dude. We'll we'll get it on air in a minute while they're no telling the story. Well, anyway, so he comes back a few days later and he's like, "All right, I want to talk to you now." And I was like, "About what?" He's about signing you. I was like, "I want to give you a record deal." So he brought me to New York and pl- plays Leor my record. And Lior's flipping out over this record. He's like, there's so many hits and this mm-hmm. and that and the other. And I'm like, okay, this is cool, all right. 
signs me nice deal good healthy deal at the time mm-hmm. like it was like 700 change or something like that i was like cool you know all right you know mm-hmm. considering like whitey ford did this and then the next one went gold that was a decent budget at the time yeah and the record business was starting to do this yeah so we took it and we made the record and and i while we're making the record i'm getting calls from anyone and everyone that knows me and leor and they're like yo this motherfucker's talking about nothing but your record Hmm. nothing but your record i'm getting calls I'm like yo i was just at his kid's birthday party and he's playing your <laughs> album for everybody at the house dude what's up i'm like and you know leor was famous for like if he opens the checkbook the shit's gonna happen so right. i'm starting to get gas like whoa this is gonna be a good year right you know he's really gonna put some money behind this i think it was like maybe a, a month before my record was about to come out like his buddy buys warner brothers and I, I wake up to news. Lior Cohen is going to run Warner Brothers. Yeah, I was signed to Warner at that time. And Lior, I had a remix for Get By with Jay-Z on it that Lior did a cease and desist because he didn't want the Def Jam artists working with the ruckus artists. And then I I was then I then went to Warner Brothers and then Lior came to Warner when I was there. I was like, this fucking guy, shout out to Lior Cohen, following me around, <laughs> trying to shut my career down. Damn, <laughs> he didn't win though. Well, yeah, so I mean, I knew that I knew that tale already. That mm-hmm. tale's been told many times. When the one staff goes out, another yeah. one comes in. Yeah, and you're in the limbo. Nobody comes in and sticks their neck out for records they didn't sign. So it's just right. like the record did okay though, but mm-hmm. like it just went from like, whoa, this could be interesting to, to like, all right, I'm back on my own. Yeah, but I mean, at, at the height of things. I think I don't think I'd be very happy if if this was more famous than my music. I understand. You know what I mean? If my face was more famous than my music, I don't think I. You could have I a real life. I love nothing more than being at Whole Foods buying some olives or something, and my fucking like one of my songs is playing over there, and, right. and nobody knows shit. Really, <laughs> right? It's wow. awesome. Right. It's awesome. Now you started Martyr Records, Martyr, Martyr Inc. Inc. It's like Murder Inc. Martyr Inc. Martyr Inc. Yeah. Shortly after, around this time, right? Yeah, yeah. Whenever you know it became more feasible to do that than chase checks, you know. Right. And I'm glad I did. My manager put me on the the idea that the streaming thing was going to work out if you owned your masters, and you know, it's, it's starting to work out. Starting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I actually start doing. You know, I do social stuff now. I come and do a podcast once in a while. <laughs> Everyone, every once in a while, a people's you know, party. I do my Instagram. Special. Instagram is what I do. Yeah. Like I got the, all the other stuff, but my that's my team. Instagram You're is what Instagram. I do. I do. I do my acoustic things now, mm-hmm. and it's starting to really. I'm seeing the difference. Like people are like getting interested. I'm. I like doing this easy. I can do that in my studio. Right, right, right. right. Are you gonna bleed over to TikTok? I have an account, but I have no idea what to do with that fucking Me thing. Me neither. I have no idea what to do <laughs> I'm with it. Not gonna be doing that. You, like, I just locked it down so nobody would take OG Everlast, right. you know, and it was like, and right. then I was like, all right, I'll see what, if some way there, I mean, my manager's trying to figure out a way to maybe some clips that of live stuff. Though. Right. I don't know. Yeah, I have no interest in You can do stuff with your daughter. People love like father-daughter duos. Yeah, I haven't duos. figured that out yet. She, my daughters don't have phones. So oh. yeah, they're That's six good. and 10 and, and they don't have phones yet. And I'm going to keep it that way as long as I can get away with it. Let's talk about La Coca Nostra for a second. Absolutely. Um, I remember, you know, when I came in a game, I came in a game with nonfiction. Like yeah, when I was, shout out. yeah, when I was running around building my career, Ill Bill and them was running around yeah. building they, they thing. Um, talk to me about how that, and that's another thing that Danny put on the table as well, right? Yeah. Tell me about the yeah. origins of not, of, uh, of La Coca Nostra and what that is for, for the audience that doesn't know. Well, like I said, things had split up from House of Pain a bunch of years earlier. Mm-hmm. That's probably 10 years maybe had gone by. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, we had run into each other. We had kind of pieced things back together and, and we're open to hanging out and mm-hmm. um, 
wasn't really into the House of Pain thoughts yet, mm-hmm. but like they were already working on La Coca Nostra, but it was different guys. Like mm-hmm. a, a, a Lethal was it was Danny and Lethal and I think Bill or me and Bill might have joined at the same time. Like mm-hmm. we were all out there together and we were at Lethal's house and he played a beat that wound up being a song called Fuck Tony Montana. Mm-hmm. And um we were just like, oh shit, that's crazy. And we all and like Bill rapped on it and I've got a wild hair up my ass and, and rapped on it. And then fucking uh, our boy Sick Jack and out of nowhere popped Shout up. Shout out to Sick Jack. He's the, he's one classic, of the LA, he's the illest, dude. He's classic LA. And nobody can rap in Spanish OG. better than that, dude. I'm Spanish, telling you right now. Yeah, he in raps English, Spanish he's a and beast. English. In Spanish, he's a fucking yeah, monster. Man. Their shows be, they shows be crazy. I mean, we did a whole record together, me and him, called War Porn Industries. I right. Yeah, yeah, but um, that we couldn't release it because of sample. Heavy Divine so Styler was involved away. in that record he as well, produced right? produced the whole album. Yeah. And he rapped on it. Yeah, and he rhymed on a bunch of stuff too. But, um, so this, and then Be Real showed up that night. Nobody called anybody. It's mm-hmm. like the motherfuckers just showed up. They heard what we were doing and now it's wound up being one of these old posse cuts. Like, we were mm-hmm. like, and um, I didn't know, I didn't really know much about La Coca Nostra yet, but I, again, it was another thing. I heard the name and I was like, what the fuck is that? Mm. And Danny was like, oh, you know. This thing I'm doing. It was a joke. I think it started with like Slane and a couple other dudes who yeah. used to like doing a little bit of the he's coke. A gr- you know he's I mean? a great rapper too, yeah. Slane. Yeah, and six years sober now. So I right. just, if I'm going to tell this story. Shout but, out to Slane. Yeah. But like, you know, he's <laughs> right. very much tell you he'd fancy a nice fucking rail right. every now and then, you know. So uh, they, were ju- they were talking to Danny on the phone. Apparently, this is what I remember the story being told to me was, you know, they were talking about what's going on. There's, oh, no, it's all good. We're like La Cosa Nostra over here. And Danny was like, yeah, more like La Coca Nostra. <laughs> and like it stuck, you know, it was like, oh, shit. And then Danny was always a master of the conceptual mm-hmm. the, uh, the conceptualization of like the logos and stuff. And he that's I mean, I sometimes feel like he belonged on Madison Avenue. That was his right. true calling. Like he could have been like a huge he's Don Draper I mean, out here. He, he, you know, he, he just knows how to put that sh- kind of shit together. Yeah. But so like it was a collective actually is what it was. There was a bunch of people involved. And then we're sitting there, we're listening to this song. And I think we did two more that night. Mm-hmm. And and it was like, well, you got this. I, I was like, you got that thing. We could like, you know, just put it out under that. It, it was like, they, it was MySpace days. Yeah. So we put it out under that and it started moving. Like the numbers, it started running up numbers. And then mm-hmm. the logo, we started selling t-shirts and we were st- we were cleaning up. Mm-hmm. We were making bank it's a good, on It's t-shirts. a good name. It's a good logo. Oh, dude, the we music were selling felt t-shirts good. out the window. No yeah. music was sold. We, it was all free. <laughs> All the music was free. The first like basic album of, of La Coca Nostra, we were just putting up songs. It was refreshing for me, especially being a fan of the old school House of Pain thing and this to see y'all reinvented with a new bunch of MCs and being still present in the scene because House of Pain was a behemoth that was so big. You you to me were larger than life. And, and to see you be like, no, now I'm a member of this underground rap group was refreshing to me. For me, well, rap for me, I'm far better when you put me in a room with like cats that like I, I I'm like that basketball team that plays to the level of their opponent. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. You put me in a room with the champs. I'm you're, you're gonna be like, oh shit! Mm-hmm. And like Bill and and Slane lit a fire under my ass. You yeah. Know? Like they were like they and the, and and our styles are so different because they're on that high, that kind of really speedy uh, yeah. s- syllabic patterns, you, double flow, yeah, double two. Yeah. And I'm kind of more just like a slow flowy kind of. Mm-hmm delivery it but like put 
break breaking it. It worked. It all it seemed, and throw a few hooks in there, mm-hmm. and then I, like I said, you it was know, aggressive too. Once once we decided we were making an album, you know, and it's like you know, it it kind of made itself. Um, you know, I you know, Bun is a good friend. He showed up. You know, Snoop yeah. showed up. I mean, I just I just called the homies and we're like that had been listening. I didn't call any homies. I called homies that had actually said something to me about the Coconostra. Right. You know I mean, like yo, that shit y'all are doing is hot. You know, yeah. Like Bun. I actually brought him a hat to like a video he did early on before. Like we had him. He was like, yo, that Coconostra shit's hot. I was like, How do I get a hat? I was like. Where do I send it? He's like, I'm in LA. I went and got it made at the swap meet and brought, wow. dropped, dropped that shit off. You know? Bun is always early. He's yes. always got yeah. his ear to the street and paying attention. He's a good dude. Snoop He's too. A good dude. Snoop yeah. got his ear to the street. Yeah, Snoop always is ahead of the game. I mean, you know, I wrote a country song and produced this country yeah. for Snoop, man. Yeah. Was, that was a, a, kind of an amazing like twist of events. Man, you've had a, a, man, a storied <laughs> career, bro. I really didn't realize until this. This is like probably the most in-depth interview I've ever done. Yeah, this is like, this like, is your life. I, as far as like all the, like, chronologically talking about yeah. the shit I've done. Now you left, um, or you, you stopped really putting time into La Coca Nostra in 2012 um, with your daughter's situation. Yeah, I mean, what, what happened was uh, the guys wanted to keep making records and I, you know, I just made different, I was, I had just finished or was finishing up making a, an album called Songs of the Ungrateful Living, a solo album. And the thing about, I consider myself semi-retired at this point. Mm-hmm. Like, I, make music when I want to make it how like I've put out two albums in the last 12 years mm-hmm. you know what I mean and I, I but I tour every year I'm I'm working you right. know um because I can put out an album and tour for two years off and do shows for three years you know right. I, mean, I could probably not put an album ever out again and still do a relatively fair amount of I'm shows in, every year I'm in that you know? same boat like I, the album served the tour for me exactly yeah and at this point for streams like right I, and the fans know, who yeah, the, yeah. you got the fans who you got they come to you yeah, and they're um, supportive. Yeah, so um, they were itching to make the next record, and I was already struggling with my daughter. Like my daughter being born with cystic fibrosis, this was very like right then at that mm-hmm. when she had been born, and we were it was like being thrown to the wolves and thrown in the deep end at the same time. You know, like trying to figure out all the complexities of this disease, which you know we could talk about on a whole another episode if you yeah. wanted. But uh, so it got to a point where. It, it, there were feelings that waiting longer would hurt the brand mm-hmm. because I would told him it's going to be a year, maybe more before I can really do that. Mm-hmm. And I sensed that that wasn't making guys happy. So I just bowed out like and said, they're going to take up the, the mantle and, and keep mm-hmm. going. Um, You in an interview said that when you found out about the cystic uh, fibrosis, 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 um, that you felt like you were at war with God. Yeah. Do you still feel like that? No, no. What was that time like and why did you feel that way? Um, I was Lieutenant Dan, man. Mm. Um, you know, it was like, really. I mean, like, because there's, there's, I became Muslim in 1996. That was my next question. Um, And, you know, I was, I've always been on journeys towards what what's what if you know what i'm saying like the, the greater existence the, the this being or energy or collective whatever yeah. it is that 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 stands above and beyond what we understand so i've always been chasing that since my early days of youth you know since um i was raised catholic and you do this thing called confirmation at a very young age where it's like support it's sort of like 
a, a, a bar mitzvah, but you don't get all the money and gifts. You oh, just okay. get the, you just, <laughs> you, the, you just get the Holy Spirit, supposedly. Right. So when you go through this whatever ceremony and you go up before the archbishop or whoever and he anoints you with this shit, you're supposed to become filled with this Holy Spirit. And that I, I was gassed like, yeah, that's going to fucking happen to me, you know, at 14. Mm. And it didn't happen. Mm. So I, that day I knew coming back sitting down and I see all the kids acting like, you know, I didn't know they were pretending at the time. Right. Um, I, for a long time, I was like, I'm evil. I must be not worthy. You know what I mean? Not necessarily evil like that. Let's, let's just say like, wow, what, 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 not good what am I not doing right? And then as I learned, I moved in when I, when I told <laughs> this is good. This is so long. When I first got a record deal with Ice-T and I told my mom and dad I was going to make rap records and go on tour to Europe instead of attending my senior year of high school, mm-hmm. I was told to get the fuck out of the house. Oh, like, yo, okay, okay, you're going to go pay your own bills then. Was like, right. So I got thrown out on the street when I wound up living in a, 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 what was uh, going to be a studio in the back of um, a guy named Bilal Bashir's house who was producing Demi Styler and he produced my first album with, with mm-hmm. Ice-T. Um, but they never finished it and it became called The Hut. It's famous in, in, in the valley in L.A. Anybody hip hop in that era came through, came and passed hut. through and touched vibes on The Hut. Dropped a lot of acid there, all kinds okay. of shit. <laughs> I also, the family in the house was Muslim. So I would have, they never approached me. They never tried to tell me nothing. But I would pick up a tape once in a while and listen to a tape or a lecture of, uh, you know, Warthin Muhammad. So it's like this is this is like, like he left. He was yeah. In the he had nation. started the American Muslim Society okay, right. at this point, and um, but it wasn't even about that. It was just like the common sense shit. And I don't want to go into all that because I don't like saying things. Or one religion is better than another. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm I, like I wouldn't call myself a practicing Muslim at this moment, though. If I were to get down and need to feel like I'm pray, that's how I'd pray. Right. Um, but I don't adhere to any kind of organized religion functions of religion. You know, right. Other than connecting with what I got to connect with but just a lot of magic was taken out of things that I was understanding and made me understand them in ways that I could wrap right. my head around them more and understand like like just the reality of things and um so like I said I became Muslim in 96 and 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 I, I actually credit the thinking and the center it brought me for my surviving what happened to me you know what I mean um that I had this I've never been a zealot. I've never been, you know, mm-hmm. I, you know, I just kind of was like, I've always been looking to be a decent human being. Golden rule is all I'm, that's Golden really rule. number one. You know, right. what I mean? that's really number one thing. Do unto others. Right. And that's, that's kind of. That's really the blueprint right there. And how you get there is whatever it is. If you get there, that's fine with me. Right. You know what I mean? If it's, Compassion. you know, if Bert and Ernie are your saviors, <laughs> go for it. You know what I mean? That's cool. If it gets you to do unto others, mm-hmm. I'm good with you. Word up. Um, so I don't like talking about what I heard or how it clicked for me as a Christian at that moment, because there's plenty of Christians I, I, that get where to do unto others, right. you know, and I'm not trying to diminish that. But for me, I, I got in this zone and for quite a few years, I was I was I was heavy hard on the dean, you know, mm. which is actively right. practicing. And um, I, you know, and then I fell off a little bit, but then got married and all this stuff and and. You know, and uh, started thinking again of organized religion differently, but never the personal whatever. I don't want to assume to know what it is I'm dealing with, but there's something that I'm connected to with it. There's a, there's a connection. So I'm trying to just focus on that. And, uh, you know, when you 
or having kids, there's only one thing you pray for when you're having kids. There's only one thing. You don't pray for anything funny. You pray for just give me a healthy kid. Mm -hmm. Just give me a healthy kid. So when my daughter was born and we were hit with this really crazy news, like you got to remember, like when I was told by the doctors, I remember like as soon as getting off the phone with them, I think it was still, it was like she was born in 09. So I got on and whatever it was, WebMD or whatever. And I mm-hmm. looked it up because I had heard the term before. Yeah. But I, I wasn't familiar with it. And the first thing it tells me is that life expectancy is 15. Mm. And I'm like, oh, my God, yeah. how am I going to tell my wife this? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And granted, at that moment, the, 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 the info was a little dated. Yeah. You know, and since it's the median ages, I believe, pushing 40 now. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because um, a lot of shit has been done in the last few years. But at that moment, and just like having to tell my wife, have like this string of just dark fucking things just had me going like, all right, then we'll fuck you too. Right. You know? Right. You know, and, and, and I was like that for maybe the first five, six years of her life. Mm-hmm. Not like raging, just like okay, fuck you too. I ain't give you ain't getting as much energy from me. Mm. You ain't getting as much time from me. You mm. know, you definitely ain't getting them rockers, right? <laughs> you know right that. Up. Um, and you know, it just out therapy. That's mm-hmm. all I can say. I mean, I, the anger was building. Actually, I wasn't raging, but the anger was building. And germs are a big deal with my daughter. You know, her the the, 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 the immune system is compromised, so. Something happened at the CF clinic one day when I was living out in uh, down south. Loma Linda was the hospital. Shout out, they're a great hospital. But mm-hmm. something happened where I got angry with somebody and one of the staff who didn't know me well didn't understand, like, tattoos this, and I was a little, uh. Mm-hmm. They called security, mm-hmm. which happened to be the police, I guess, because mm-hmm. it was like a hospital. They just called, the police were there. They came to the door of my daughter's, Exam room. And I opened it and the police were like, yeah, we, you know, can we talk to you? And I was like, yeah, what about? You know what I mean? They're like, yeah, well, they say you threatened somebody. I was like, no, I didn't threaten anybody. Now, what, what happened was at the time, and, and they have a policy and they followed their policy. But what happened was, is like, there's a policy at these things where somebody's supposed to wear a mask all the time. You're all, because these children are compromised, mm-hmm. you know, especially the children, because so they don't pass things between mm-hmm. each other. So, I saw a child without a mask. I said something to the mother, like put a mask on. And then one of the staff members says something to me. And I was like, yeah, but that shit does not, that, that makes you mad enough to kill somebody. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what I yeah. said, literally. All right. Now, I just, they told me when they heard that word, mm-hmm. kill somebody, they had to do that. I understand their right, policy. Right. It's a little crazy when you put context into play, mm-hmm. but I understand what happened. So the cops come and now they start, I'm like, yeah, we could talk, but you can't come in the room. Mm-hmm. It's my daughter's in here. And I don't know if you, I don't know what journalism right. you dude. You know what I mean? And it's a white guy and a black guy behind him. And this dude's like, yo, yo. And he's like, well, I'm going to come in the room. And I was like, fat chance. I was like, you're not coming in this room. And I go to shut the door and he puts his boot in there. Mm-mm. And I heal his boot out. And he's like, yo, you're going to jail. And I come outside and I shut the door. And I'm like, well, take me to jail. Then I said, it's going to be fun. I was, And I, I'm <laughs> I'm not in my right mind. Right. I'm not fucking a tough guy. I'm you're like, protective at this point, world. give a beating, take a beating. It's something. Yeah. I'll feel something different than what I'm feeling. Yeah. It's kind of that situation. All of a sudden, the guy in back steps in front and he's like, hold up. The brother steps in front and says, where are you from? I said, I'm from fucking L.A., homie. What? He's like, no, no, no. He's like, I, I hear something else. Uh-huh. I was like, my mom's from Brooklyn. I was like, I was born in Long Island, but I'm from L.A. Uh-huh. I was like, I was raised here. He's like, OK. He's like, I understand. He's like, you got 
he's like, you got that right. mom. He's like, I can, let's talk. He's like, I understand you, you daughter, this, that we speak. He talks it all out. Like, a, like I go back in my room. A human interaction. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that's great. But I'm driving home and now I'm like, man, I could have just in front of my daughter, like, like beat the shit out of a cop or gotten the shit beaten out of me and yeah. going to jail either way. Without even thinking, because I just, you know, and I, that's when I started therapy. And mm-hmm. therapy changed everything. Therapy, you know, makes you own your shit if you do it right. Mm-hmm. And you get the right dude. I had tried therapy and shit before with other dudes, but they'd never, you got to find the right one. It wasn't the right time, I think. Yeah, yeah probably that too. You've been um, very public about sharing what your daughter's going through on social media. Do you feel like that's also a form of therapy? Do you do it to help others or help well, yourself? That's her doing she oh. wanted that. Like we never posted a picture of her like and talked about it until she like, it, when she was very young when she decided she, she knew mommy and daddy were on Instagram doing our things. Daddy probably a little more. She understood was she, as she understood, I was a little different and had a little more reach or whatever than the average, you know, uh, dad that, um, she was like, I want to start an Instagram. And, and we asked her why. And she said, I want to let people see, like she has an Instagram. It's Layla Beauty. Layla like Layla Ali, L A I L A. Layla Beauty 09. It's, and and uh, but you get you get screened by the wife. It's private. If you <laughs> if you don't look like a creep and she, right, and, you know she'll let you in and watch. But she'll she'll post stuff. I don't think she's been doing much lately. But she was up for a while about that life. You know, every time she went to the clinic or this or and and not just you know the negative side, the good sides, but. Anything you see me post of her has been run by her. She's been asked, can I post this? You know, just, you know I'm never going to have her grow up and be like, yeah, it's, no, mm-hmm. no, no, that ain't right. It's, yeah. I think it's very positive and therapeutic and important that y'all do that and share mm-hmm. your story. Well, I know it is because people that's, you know, reach out all the time. And, yeah, you know, I can imagine. You know, my so. wife is good. Like she'll like she all the time is getting hit up by like other mothers with especially cystic fibrosis mothers. And right. that because that, it's 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 a very complex disease. I mean, like this there's water right there. There's a thing in here called pseudomonas. It's harmless to you. It's harmless to me. It can culture in my daughter's lungs. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Now it's, you, it's, it's, it's like, and that's, that's water. That's yeah. everywhere on earth. That's, it, it can that's be a droplet life. here. If she aerosolizes it somehow, it can, it can wind up in her lungs and culture. It's, and there's a lot, and there's tons of that shit. <laughs> like right. that you can't, that you can't, and feeding and, and, and digest. It's so many, it's so complex, the disease that it's, 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 it's heavy. And that's another reason it's heavy. I watch my wife carry a load while I'm out earning money. Mm-hmm. That's why, I, that's why there was a lot of fuck you, you know, right. but with the therapy, I came to the, just back around where it's like, you know, mm. it ain't your fault. Mm. <laughs> it ain't nobody's fault. Uh, can you describe the process of how you went about learning to be your daughter's caretaker? Um, yeah, my wife is awesome. Uh, she learned everything and showed it to me step by step. Uh, mm. She's she uh, dove in and and there's you know you wake up in the morning she has to uh, you know do treatments twice a day with uh, what's called the vest, but it's like a compressor that sh- it'll shake you numb. When I've held when I used to hold her as a baby doing it, sh- I'd be numb afterwards. It's that violent because. Mm. She doesn't really have a ton of this yet, but the thing is, a lot of mucus builds up in their lungs, and it's to shake it loose so they'll cough it out. Mm. That's small. That's just tip of the iceberg. Um, the, she has a feeding tubes that because they don't digest fats properly, so it's hard to get nutrition in them. Um, they also deplete salt crazy fast, and so you got to keep them, you know, hydrated and 
like whereas like you wouldn't be giving a kid a ton of salt layla mm-hmm. gets you know the extra salt there's there's so many little things that like again the house has to be kept clean you know I, this whole coronavirus shit i've been living the coronavirus life for fucking 10 years like mm-hmm. i get on every plane i ever get on for the last 10 years and wear masks and i have i have a entire bag of alcohol sanitary wipes they have the airplane pilots are people have been looking at me like I'm nuts for years. Yeah, you, so. you you and me spoke about this a little bit when you're trying to schedule this visit. Uh, you brought up the mucus thing. Planet Asia was on this show talking about how how we don't pay enough attention to, to the problems that the mucus causes. Oh, like just in general? Yeah. Yeah, well, there's lots of things you can do dietarily to to avoid mucus. and mm-hmm. um, But it's a whole different ball. It's a whole different ball game. Because of the salt depletion in the cells, mm-hmm. in, in CF, the, the 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 mucus can become cement-like. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's, and that'll sit in the bottom of the lungs and just trap infection and colonize mm-hmm. infection. You know, it's like becomes like a cave system for... Mm. They have to do Colonizer what's called fiction. Bronx, where they literally go in there and scrape it out. You know, it's yeah, it's it's crazy. There's a lot of wild shit. But like, my my daughter, by the way, though, is doing amazing right now. Mm-hmm. They just uh, approved an amazing treatment for CF. I think it's called Trifacta. Mm-hmm. Um, just got pr- approval, and she'll be eligible for that soon. And you know, there's a lot of like I said, the, from the time I found out about it, it went from 20 to it's doubled. It's mm. basically to 40 in the last. That's 10 good. Years. That's good news. And they have yeah. someone that lived till 76 before dying from cystic fibrosis. Yeah. And also, I was at an open mic, and it was a comedian that was there, and she suffers from it. And she, you know, she was doing open mic. She was, you know, making light of her situation, but you know, yeah. it's very encouraging to know that you can live a full life. There was one of them singing shows where there was a guy on it, like a singer, like a country style singer mm-hmm. on one of the competition shows that mm-hmm. had CF. I don't, know what, I don't know what happened shows. with that. But yeah, I mean, it's one of the things it's like it, it, I came to the conclusion that this is all what it's supposed to be. And she's with me because she's supposed to be with me. Mm-hmm. So. That's right. So it, it became instead of fuck you, it became thank you. That's beautiful. You know what I mean? We could give it up for that. Yeah. Give it up. Um, you make me cry. <laughs> it's all right. It's, yeah. You can it's, let you them know, out. We 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 are honored for you to share your story with us, and I, I know you don't. I I know you have been sharing on Instagram, but for you to come here and share with us, it means the world to us, and we really man, appreciate, appreciate the invite, man. No doubt. Um, let's talk about Whitey Ford's House of Pain for a second. Cool. Because you um, that's you taking these two worlds and bringing them together. And I really, really, really enjoyed this album, particularly the song, The Culling. You know, yeah, I really one. like that song. Yeah. I feel like that song, I've heard you speak about this album. You you feel like it's one of your best pieces of work. Yeah, I do. And I you do. feel like it... it, it you act- know, everybody says that about Yeah, you say it about every new album, no, right? I really look at it and I, I feel lyrically, I feel in a lot of ways that it, musically, I, I, it's it's exactly what I called it though. It's it's like, it's like, it's Whitey Ford sings the blues and... Like House of Pain, it's that's that record. The calling though, like e- even with the Muslim thing, like you, you, there's there's, there's Islamic references on it. Oh, sure. There's movie references on it. You talk about syndicate syndication soldier on that on that song. It's like that record to me encapsulates everything about you in the best way possible. That that song. Yeah, I, it's that was a hard one. That's a hard one to perform. though. there's not mm. one breath. In that song. There's a lot of there's a lot of bars in that song. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that's 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 a, it's one of my more proud like rap moments. Yeah, you know could, I mean like just because like when I look at it and see not hidden meaning and everything, but mm-hmm. like so, there's two ways I do things when I write, 
and I write all in my head. There's either like it's gonna I'm trying to tell you something, I have the idea already, or it's stream of consciousness. Mm-hmm. That's a stream of consciousness. Each line yeah. led me into the next line. Like what would come after that, you know? Yeah, it's almost like, like word association. Sale, chemtrail, apocalyptic, yeah. hieroglyph, try to riff, find a spliff, light it up, smoke it. Yeah, you know, it's it's just like if you really just slow it down, you find it. It's just a step by step. It's like Billy Jean with the steps and yeah. Hey, it's oh, that's yeah, that's the dance he's doing. You know? But it's about your life. It's stream of consciousness. It's word association. But it's about all the things that make up who you yeah, are. Yeah, that's what I mean. When it, when yeah. you look, when you take the step back from the stream of consciousness, be like, oh, it actually says a lot. Like it's yeah. not just random thoughts. Like I have a song in this in the same vein called Black Jesus. That's just like pop culture references and this yeah. and all white but then devil black jesus out, yeah yeah you, you, that was because of Ghostface. like i just wrote that song literally because <laughs> he had the song black jesus and i was like what would happen if right. a white guy wrote a song called black jesus and i just started writing they call me white Who's devil, devil? Black, black jesus, jesus. and then just yeah. from there that's what happened you spazzed you know? on that record mm-hmm. but, um uh, you talk on the um whitey ford house of pain record you referenced tom tom petty twice kind of kind of the waiting it's kind of like that. The mm-hmm. one I said, the waiting is the hard part. Definitely. That's a great kind of, lyric too. Um, and then the, the second one would be more of a musical one. There's a, there's a, um, a, a unless you're thinking about something else that I, I didn't catch. Um, That's it's the, just a bridge of just, okay. dum, 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 you know, kind of a Tom Petty. Like, I knew about the first bounce. one, but yeah. the second one I read about, I didn't quite catch it on the record. Right. It's just a bounce. It's not like lyrical. Okay. Or it's just like, you know, we were like, what do we do for this bridge? And then we were like, fucking, Somebody that was my keyboard player, or, or mm. we just let's Tom Petty that shit. And just, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it works. Let's yeah, go. we lost a you great know? one with Tom Petty. My my good friend Dave New York uh, passed Dave. away. You know Dave, yeah. right? He passed away um, last summer, yeah. um, but he was hanging out with Tom Petty a lot. So it's like Dave and Tom Petty kind of went together, you know. Yeah. Um, but Tom Petty was just such a huge influence. I have a question about something you said about Donald Trump. <laughs> I try to leave that dude's name out of my mouth. But okay, let's go. Okay, you um, and you said that in the interview. I, I, you, 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 you made it clear in the interview I read to say that you have your criticism of Trump, but you don't let it affect how you live your life. Don't let it change. I I, well, okay, <laughs> that's what you said. <laughs> um, but you said uh, he was elected by scared ass white people, mm-hmm. and yeah, you said yeah. he's probably gonna be elected again. Uh. I, 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 and I think I, I usually when I say that I qualify it with I pray I'm wrong. Please. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and I could be maybe maybe you know honestly as much as I think Bernie was the best human being running I think he gets scraped in a, in a general election. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, maybe, Elizabeth maybe, Warren just dropped out today. Yes, yeah, that might help. You know, what I mean, I don't, but I just think it's you know the way they frame things. I just I'm so sick of the fucking the 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 world of. The algorithm has just got everybody, dude. And I don't know, you know, that's vague way of saying it, but like, it's just like the whole no truth thing, this, all that. He, white people are, are, are really scared. You know, I don't understand why, because, and I do understand why they don't spend around their time around enough. It's like they're ice. They're, we're talking about certain white people, you yeah. know, pockets of them. Big you got to say that because white people sometimes get very yeah, offended. Yeah, I'm talking about big pockets of these certain white people. <laughs> right. You know right. what I mean? That just. In a lot of ways, don't, in a lot Y'all of ways, know. we own. In a lot of ways, they, they just don't even know any better. Uh-huh. In these, you know, I'm not belittling or anything. I'm just saying, like, mm-hmm. they're scared. They're being told and fed constantly that uh, caravans of fucking Latinos are coming, and mm-hmm. the black man wants to kill them. Mm-hmm. It's like, and I go, I've, I've, I've just spent. I was at World on Wheels, like 
in the fucking eighties right. when it was like schoolyard crips killing grape streets in the, yeah, I, it's just, I, I've never personally been treated badly. You know what I mean? I've had a random dude here. They'll be like, collectively, I've never felt unwelcome at any event mosque I've been to anywhere any family's home never have mm-hmm. I walked into a situation where I was like among nothing but like black folk and been anything but welcomed in and told like hey you're welcome here come on in and relax you know what I mean again you I've had random individuals fucking right. have problems with me yeah so but, yeah people be like this um, happened to me because I'm white it's like not it happened to you because you're and, a mark you're and, an I, and I, for a long time I would, I would, I would I, you know I, people wouldn't understand when I'm trying to tell them the story and I try to equate it it was like yeah but you know Imagine, I mean, I there was a time when I didn't know any black people way back in my youth, youth, but like, mm-hmm. but I remember the once in a while a black person coming around and how they must have felt mm-hmm. every and, day. And I don't remember everybody in our fucking neighborhood jumping up and saying, Hey, come on in, you're welcome. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, I mean, I can weigh both those experiences right. and understand that, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, the lie is heavy out there, man. You know, mm-hmm. the bigger the lie, the more people believe it. It's everybody believes it. So, mm-hmm. how big is the lie? It's a narrative that is changing, though. And that's one of the things I love about social media because it shows black people in different aspects where it's not like just gang or just killing people. Like you see black people doing random, quote unquote, white people things like eating hummus and stuff like that. So, you know, hummus is not white people stuff. OK, it's not. It's Well, they, they made it white people, though. <laughs> they did that with yoga and a bunch of other things. That yeah, is not white not, people. Oh, you almost got a spit take on that one, dog. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> like eat hummus. I mean, I I know where hummus originated from, but they make it a white people thing. Right? Okay. They they yeah they do. You know, c- cultural appropriation is very real. Yeah. Um, I didn't know we took hummus, man. Y'all I, took I hummus. Yeah, y'all took, took hummus. Took hummus. Sorry. <laughs> See, taking it back to like just what we were just talking about, it's like that's kind of what we're just even the idea of House of Pain come mm-hmm. from was like, yo. I'm proud of who I am, what I am, where I come from. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean like anything else is threatening that. Mm-hmm. And there's that's the narrative that these certain people are taught. First of all, what they're being taught is something is a culture that isn't a culture. We already touched on right. that. So get in touch more with your actual culture, and that might that void might fill mm-hmm. up with stuff. Right. And you know? and when you when you get in touch with your actual actual culture. That makes you have respect for other cultures. Because when you see how much you love and appreciate your culture, you can understand how somebody else could appreciate their culture. Instead of this like idea that we were grown up with, uh, this idea of this melting pot, where a melting pot, all the culture dissolves and becomes some bland culture with no seasoning, no spice. Mm-hmm. I'd rather have like a stew where everyone's culture is represented. You yes. taste every flavor. You Thank see you. everything. Yeah. Marinate it together. Absolutely. Definitely. Absolutely. Um, I'm high. Yeah, that's good. That's good. That's Live good. your life. Um, now that you're high, let's talk about some high shit. Um, you also described America as a corporation. Um, I Isn't think that's it? very apt, especially with a president <laughs> like Donald Trump. Yeah, I mean, it just is. It's been. Mm-hmm. It's it's owned. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how factual this is. I, from it's from like my uh, you know, behold the pale horse days, but it. Doesn't, doesn't your birth Shout certificate to William Cooper. have the words property of the United States of America on it? You're owned. Like mm-hmm. We're all owned. Like, mm-hmm. like technically, you can call that a contract. Wow. Your birth certificate, you know, if you wanted to get real deep. 
it just behaves like a corporation. I mean, you've seen the documentary, the corporation, yeah. where they take the corporation and compare it psychologically to a human. And mm-hmm. by the end, uh, spoiler alert, uh, you know, a corporation is basically a psychopath. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know I mean, yeah. If a corporation is a human being, which the court said it was, well, yeah, courts call it. That's why we all a, incorporate ourselves. So, yeah, you know, you could be saved. Of, you know, you're yeah, my life's over here. You can sue that. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. The psychopath over there. Yes. Over there. <laughs> sue the psychopath. Point at me. You have been sort of, you've experienced every part of the music business from independent to not having success to having huge successes. What advice can you give for someone coming into the music business, having to look at contracts and deal with lawyers and stuff like that, but still wants to maintain their presence as a pure artist? Well, now that's not even necessary, is it? Mm. Like, uh, I mean, at least the contract and doing business with like a corporate entity Mm -hmm. I don't think any. I don't think anybody should even attempt to do that until it's so much in your favor. It's like got to. They got to be coming banging on your door. You know what right. I mean? Don't just. You, you can't. Do it yourself. It's free. Mm-hmm. Put it on Spotify. See what the fuck happens. Or I mean, um, SoundCloud. Or mm-hmm. you know, see what the fuck happens. You know what I mean? It, it's not that hard. You know what I mean? But uh, I think the more you can get done on your own the better off you are. All the legends sold them out of their trunk first, man. That's right. You know what I mean? Especially on the West Coast. Yeah, that was that's an old thing. Do it yourself, man. You know, um, I would say, you know, be like E-40. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that dude does right it up. all. I watch, I love following Right up, for Sugar Dale. Yeah, and he was independent early, you know. Right up. Was, you know, and he's probably responsible for more slang, especially West Coast slang, than mm-hmm. any other single individual I can even imagine. That's right. 40, you got an open invite on the show. Oh, yes. yeah, yeah. You need to, he are, needs to come down. Are you familiar with uh, Meg the Stallion? Um, uh, as familiar as, as I can be by just what I see on my Instagram. I'm not really hip to a lot of the music. Do you have an opinion on what she's going through with her contract? Right I did now? read something about it. If it's as outrageous as what I read, it's no, then she's going to win. She'll be all right. If mm-hmm. she got a good lawyer, that's like inhuman. Some of that shit I saw, like, gets no money like or like 60 percent of everything goes to nah, 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 that's, did you see um i don't know I'd, I'd be mad at who told her to sign that yeah. deal is what i'd be mad at <laughs> i saw james prince talking about it i guess he's involved yeah. with the people who gave her a deal he was telling a side of the story mm-hmm. on his instagram there's always a side of the story yeah well, there's there, always a side oh, pretty that's much. why i said if what i read is true right <laughs> <laughs> right their stance was uh, as an independent label that they pretty much deal with all the same risks that the artist is dealing with as well. So once these artists are like, you know, getting big, then they shouldn't just try and release themselves, like separate there's themselves. That too. From them. I mean, there's also we don't know how much those dudes spent to get mm-hmm. her where she's at. So, I mean, that's why I'm saying if what I read is that little blurb mm-hmm. I read, I read some real slave contract type stuff that was like, wow, that's mm-hmm. awful. How do you pay your bills? Mm -hmm. But if they spent $10 million to get her where she is, I mean, then they deserve their $10 million back at minimum. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, there's, you know, it's a business. It's a ruthless, dirty, awful, scummy business. That's why I don't, I don't deal in it. Yeah. I do my thing and I I don't have to, I don't, I don't go to Hollywood much except to pick up a pair of sneakers here and there. Now you said, you said that you. Or consider yourself retired, but semi, I feel, semi, semi, because you retired from I'm the gig, business. Uh, yeah, but I know there's another record. There's got to be another record. I, the funny thing is, I think maybe there's two. Okay, tell me about the, these records. I think there's a rap record and another songwriting record. Okay, and I think I'm ready to hang it up as far as like 
I'm going to do the Bill Withers thing from there on out and just mm. put them in a drawer. Keep recording, making songs, whatever. Put them in a drawer. Leave something for the babies. Well, we got Still Bill. Now we got Still Everlast. Shh. Who's never still, but he's still here. No. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> give it up for the OG Everlast and the place to be. Yeah. Woo! Thank you. Yay, yay. Thank you. That was fun, man. That was fun. <laughs>